Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bibles, please open up to Romans chapter 15. Uh, one thing I have to say is you hear me mention a lot how the church in Rome was very, very young. And it's true, they were very young. But Paul did not withhold deep spiritual things from them. Uh, he taught them a lot. Remember when we went through uh, Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, some very deep spiritual things there, especially in, in pertaining to sound doctrine. I love the fact how Paul didn't withhold this information from them. He gave it to the church, gave it to the saints. But then you start to see something else where perhaps the church in Rome isn't as young as they had used to be in reading this letter. You know, and you know, I'm kind of uh, um, painting a picture here about maturing in Christ. Of course, this change isn't immediate. But then at the same time, it's not to say that it's to be stunted either. And I say this as encouragement for us as the body of Christ, because you might be a young believer, a new believer, or at any state of growth. But when you consider these things that Paul has poured into the church, deep spiritual things, deep spiritual truths, very, very sound doctrine. I mean, like not just sound doctrine, the doctrine in accordance with the Holy Word of God. Let it be an encouragement to you, in motivation to grow, as encouragement to grow, understanding that with growth comes this added knowledge, but then with, with this added knowledge comes other gifts and fruits of the Holy Spirit, and how the Lord wants to use you, and how He can use you, and how we, He will use you. You see what I'm saying? It's so beautiful when you see Scripture applicationally, but you look applicationally onto the church too, onto each individual saint. The implications, the spiritual implications for the church in those days, and for the church today, and for you today. Because it helps us in our walk with the Lord. It's an encouragement in our walk with the Lord. And remember in chapter 4, we're in chapter 15, but if you recall our study in chapter 14, you know, it was for the weak and strong. When, when Paul pinpointed the weak and the strong, you know, to, to be in one one body, one, one, one church, one fellowship, one ecclesia, you know, and have no disputes over doubtful things, but that's excluding doctrine. You know, have no disputes over doubtful things, but that excludes doctrine. And what I mean by saying that is, you know, if you want to say that Sunday is better than Monday or Tuesday is better than Saturday or Thursday is better than Wednesday or Sunday, that's fine. If you want to say every day of the week is, you know, a service unto the Lord, that's fine too. Or one is better. I mean, it's all in service to the Lord, but one is better than the other. That's fine. I'm not going to have beef with you. You want to say you don't, you, you don't want to eat certain foods because of your conscience before the Lord. That's fine. No beef. No beef, one body, many parts, Christians, fellow believers. But you want to start saying, you know, it's okay to go grave soaking? No, we're going to have words. We're going to have issues. You want to say it's okay to take the mark of the beast? You'll still be saved? No, we're going to have issues. We're going to have words. You see? Sound doctrine. That's why I say it's excluding doctrine. So yeah, you know, let's not dispute over doubtful things. But wait a second. What about sound doctrine? You know, it's our safety. 
And so look what happens here in chapter 15, verse 1. He says, we then who are strong, very interesting because, you know, this, this, this word for strong is powerful and capable. And understand that our, the power is not ours. It's, it's of the Lord. You know, it, it, it requires humility. Because remember, those who know, know in part. You know, and that's what we're going to study when we get into the Corinthian letters. Those who know, know in part. Remember, love is the greatest gift. You can prophesy, you can speak in tongues, you can have all kinds of knowledge. But love is the greatest gift. Never forget that. Nevertheless, Paul says, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to ourselves. To bear with the scruples is to endure and carry, to endure and carry the scruples of the weak. What are the scruples of the weak? Well, the scruples translates as infirmity, the weakness. And of course, you know, the infirmity, the weakness. Uh, But then when you think of scruple, it's like doubt or hesitation. I mean, say, for example, you're a star athlete, a super, super, super duper athlete in any any sport, you know, basketball, soccer, football, anything, tennis, golf, no matter what you apply yourself to, you excel. And then say, for example, you're on a team and everybody on the team is excelling in 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 their you know in their whatever purpose they have on the team and you have a star team and it's awesome it's like wow you know we're getting the gold medals we're winning all the awards we're doing all this but then what for example all of a sudden you get traded to another team and your team is a bunch of you know eight-year-olds and you can't win anything Does that say that, you know, you're to be like stubborn and like, oh man, I'm not winning this anymore. I'm not winning this anymore. Man, look, I'm with these guys. They can't even jump. They can't even run. They can't even do this. Oh man. And then you become a Debbie Downer. No, not to do that at all. But to understand, I mean, you know, understand that God's economy is different from the the world's economy. You might look at that situation and be like, wow, you know, That guy's a loser. That guy's not winning anymore. But in God's economy, it's winning. Why? Because you as a star athlete, you go to a team of eight-year-olds and, you know, maybe they're good. Maybe they're excellent, but they're eight-year-olds. You know, they can't jump as high. They can't run as fast. They can't, you know, they can't do this. They can't do that. Maybe they're not good at all and they really can't jump. They really can't run. Does that mean we're like, oh man, you know, look, this stinks. I look at where I'm at. No, it's to say, wow, how can that person who's a star athlete help those who are be on the team and help those who are younger than him, help those who can't run, who can't jump? You see, focusing focusing on strengths, turning weaknesses into strengths, and this all happens in the course of time. And that's what Paul is saying here. We then who are strong or powerful and capable, understanding with all humility that it's not our power. It belongs to the Lord. It's the the Lord's doing, the Lord's work. That's what Paul is saying. We who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak, ought to endure and even carry the doubts or the hesitations or the weakness or the infirmities of the weak. You see, 
Remember in chapter 14, verse 1, at the you know, verse 1, I mean, I was going to say at the very beginning, but verse 1. And Paul says, receive one who is weak. Take them in. You know, you're a star athlete, and then all of a sudden somebody's going to join your team who's an 8-year-old. Can't run like you, can't jump like you, can't swing a bat like you. You see? Can't hit a golf ball as far as you. And you're like, oh, no, I don't want you. No, nope, you didn't make the cut, you know. You didn't make the cut. You're out. You're out. No way. That's not the love of Christ. It's to take this person who is weak, bear with them, endure them, and even carry them, understanding that, yes, you know, you're carrying a lot of things. You're carrying their doubts. You're carrying their hesitations. You're carrying their infirmities. You're carrying their weakness. But then at the same time, look at what you're doing for them, that in the course of time, that eight-year-old is going to be a nine-year-old, a 10-year-old, 15, 20, 30. And they're going to grow. They're going to mature. You see? Growth. Receive one who is weak. And, you know, no disputes over doubtful things. So somebody who is weak, no disputes over doubtful things. Somebody who's weak might say, oh, you know what? I, I, think, I think Thursday is better than Wednesday. Or I think Wednesday is better than Tuesday because, you know, we have Bible study on Wednesday and Wednesday is, you know, the best day. We have Bible study on Sunday. We have church and it's the best day. Or, you know, I think I, I study the Bible every day. So that yeah, every day it's like, fine, that's, you know, that's perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. I'm not going to, I don't have beef with you. If that's how, you know, in your conscience before the Lord, it's service unto the Lord. It's your relationship with him. I have no beef. But then somebody comes in and, oh, you know what? Let's go grape soaking. My friends are doing it and I want to do it too. No, 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 brother, sister. That's not good. Don't do that. That's not good. You know, let me tell you why, you know, let's, let's study the Bible. Let's have this nice fellowship. I'll tell you why. But, you know, I don't want to see, I don't, I don't want to like hurt your conscience like hardcore at this point. But in the course of time, as we continue study, you're going to start to realize like, wow, that stuff is wrong. Because remember, they're young. You have to bear with their scruples. And when I say you bear with their scruples, that's for you who are strong. I mean, understand who you are in Christ, but then at the same time, understand where you are in your relationship with him. You might be, if you're a non-believer, become a believer. If you are a believer, you might be like, you know, I'm going to speak like age range wise. You might be in preschool, kindergarten, elementary school, middle school, high school college level, university level, you know, even, you know, even higher, you know, like a, 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 a master's level. And when you think in those terms, you have to be honest with yourself and understand where you are. That's not to say that the fellowship can't exist. I mean, if you go to, I mean, imagine a campus where they have preschool, uh, junior high, high school, elementary, college, you know, master's class, master's courses, doctorate courses. You know, you have this, you know, academically speaking, this big, strong guy, this big, strong lady hanging out with the preschooler, hanging out with the first grader, hanging out with a junior high or a high schooler. Now, uh, metaphysically speaking, you look at that and it's beautiful. I say metaphysically, but also literally. It's beautiful. That's fellowship. 
Why? Because that preschooler is going to attain one day. You know, like Paul says, not that I have attained already, but I press forward. That preschooler is going to attain one day the same way you are going to attain one day. We all press forward. I mean, picture that, you know, you're in this school campus. And there's all this, you know, the uh, social classes and, you know, the nerds sit over here, the the brainiacs sit over here, the geeks sit over here, the jocks sit over here, the, you know, the, the emos, they sit over here, all these different factions. It's like, wow, all this division. But then you look at another table, which is a big table, and you see everybody together, the jocks, the nerds, the academics, the geeks, the brainiacs the all the chess club you know the sports club the sports teams the you know everybody some guys got their starter jackets and some people got their little uh, pocket protectors they're all at one table and not just in the same age group you have preschoolers there you have college people there you have middle schoolers you have all these people there at this table and it's beautiful the world is what has the different factions but then in this table you see something beautiful. And you see those who are strong bearing with the scruples of the weak. You see? No disputes. Not to, not to argue over, you know, oh, could I eat this food or I don't eat this food. Or, you know, I eat this food because it's fine. We have freedom in Christ. Not to argue over things like that. But somebody starts bringing in crazy doctrines, false doctrines. What if somebody says, oh, my friend is doing this and, you know, should we do it too? It's to understand where that person is in Christ and say, you know what, brother, you know what, sister, you know, no, that's that's not right before the Lord. Because the Bible says this and we live to honor him, we live to please him. And it doesn't bring him glory. Just the opposite. He doesn't like that. So, you know, let's not do the grave soaking like this other, you know, church over here. You see, let's not do this like this other church over here. The Bible says this, you know, and so that's when growth happens in other ways, too. But that's growth that's happening, maturity in Christ. But then if it's a leader, so-called leader who comes in and says, hey, guys, we're going to go grape soaking. That's a different animal. That's that's handled a different way. Because then you have shepherd against wayward shepherd. That's a different animal completely. And, you know, if you're a lamb or if you're a sheep and you're hearing what I'm saying, you have to read 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus to understand what I'm saying. Because Paul writes specific letters to the pastors, to the elders, to the leadership, because there's a different perspective that they have. There's a different role. There's a different task that they have. Spiritually speaking, you know, to, to make sure that there's order in the church, to make sure that there's order at the table. And so we look at verse 1, bearing with the scruples of the weak, and it's not to please ourselves. You see, for the person who is strong, who is powerful and capable, and remember, the power is not yours. The power is not yours. It belongs to the Lord. You know, if you want to acknowledge yourself as you who are strong, you must have humility. You must have humility because it also puffs up. It also pride comes along with strength. Carnally speaking, spiritually speaking, 
Humility comes with strength because you understand it's not your strength. It's the strength of the Lord. But it's not to please ourselves. And if you're strong, you're not the benefactor. You are not the benefactor. He says not to please ourselves at the end of verse 1. So, you know, it's not to say a strong person is going to say a strong person in the faith, a strong person in Christ, the mature in Christ is going to say, you know, let me teach you about lawn care. You know, we might have a brother or sister in the church that is, you know, they can't do anything. So we're going to do take care of their lawn. We're going to bring them groceries. And, you know, let me teach you about lawn care. Lawn care. So, you know, they, they don't, they don't, their house doesn't go into disarray, you know, while they're kind of shacked up for a little bit, for whatever reason, might be medical situation, might be finances, might be whatever, but we're going to support this family. Let me teach you how to care for their lawn. And in so doing, I'm going to teach you with my lawn and I'm going to teach you how to do this. And all of a sudden I start saying, well, now that I taught you this, why don't you come once a week and take care of my lawn? You know, take care of my, feed the grass, aerate, all these things. Here, trim the weeds, trim the bushes, make it look nice. You see, don't do that. That's not good. That's an example of bad. That's an example of what not to do. So it's not to please ourselves. We, you are not the benefactor. You're not the benefactor. You who are strong, it's not for your benefit. It's not for your advantage. Number one, it's for the Lord, but then number two, it's for them, for the person. And I have something to say to parents too. Because a lot of parents say, oh, I'm going to teach my parent, my, my kids servanthood. I'm going to teach my kids how to have a servant's heart. And really what they want, they want a servant. I'm not all parents, some parents. And I'm seeing it become more popular. Parents have their babies, the babies grow up, and you have like a 10-year-old girl, a 13-year-old girl, a 15-year-old girl. She's the mom. She's taking care of the young kids. That's not right. No, that 10-year-old girl, that 15-year-old girl, they need to grow and mature themselves and, you know, have their godly friends and go out with their friends and be challenged in their walk with the Lord. Come back home and say, hey, mom, dad, this is what happened. And a mom and dad can say, look, you know, you know, I know you, you were in the world and you have these friends and you went out and did this and you're questioning this. This is what the Bible says. Very moment, very beautiful moments of intimacy, a parent to a child, a mother to a child, a father to the child. So when that kid leaves at age 18 or age 19, or if you're more liberal when they're 30, when that kid leaves, whenever that kid leaves the home, hopefully it's before age 20, but when that kid leaves the home, they're equipped. They're going to be challenged and be like, oh, this is like what happened when I was 12. And I remember what my mom, my mom told me. Oh, this is like what happened when I was, you know, 15. And I remember what my dad told me. This is the exact same thing that happened to me when I was 16. And, you know, I prayed about it. I talked with my parents about it. And, you know, this is how I dealt with it when I was 16. And the Lord worked beautifully. And the Lord was honored. The Lord was glorified. So here I am. I'm now 19. I'm out of the home. The same exact situation has arisen. And I know how to deal with it. I'm equipped. You see? A lot of parents today, they say, oh, I want to teach my kids servanthood. 
And yeah, we're going to have these babies. And you know, I have my 10-year-old daughter. And I'm going to teach her servanthood. And here, 10-year-old daughter, take care of my kid. Take care of this baby. He's your brother. She's your sister. Take care of them. Mother them. You see? For the parent, what do you really want? Do you want to teach servanthood? Or do you want a servant? You see? I've talked with kids before. Kids who cannot wait to turn 18. They cannot wait to turn 18. Why? You think like, wow, you really want to vote that bad? No, 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 no. Why, why, why do you want to turn 18? Because the very second I turn 18, I might have a little family party, you know, on my birthday. But the very next day, I'm out. I've talked to boys and girls, you know, young men, young women of that same mindset. When I'm 18, I'm out. And when they say I'm out, they really mean I'm out. I'm going to go taste of the world and all that it has to offer. And it's not good. And it's the result of the parents. That's what it is. It's the fruit of your own doing, parent. It's the fruit of your own doing, mom. It's the fruit of your own doing, dad. Oh, but I want to teach my kids servanthood. Okay, teach them servanthood. By example. By example, you want to have five kids, eight kids, 10 kids. Okay, go ahead. You know, honor the Lord is, you know, do, I mean, I'm not, I'm not withholding anything. I'm not, you know, do whatever you got to do. I mean, you know what you got to do, but you're the parent, you're the mom, you're the dad, you know, you want to teach your kids servanthood, praise be to the Lord, teach them by example. Don't teach them by enslaving them and making them your servant. Oh, I want to teach my daughter servanthood. I want to teach my son servanthood. Hey, son, clean the house. Hey, daughter, take care of my two-year-old baby. Hey, other daughter, you help your brother clean the house. Hey, other son, you know, take care of the, the yard. Hey, you know, you uh, 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 clean the driveway, you know, uh, sandblast or, you know, the, the, do the, the, the water pressure on the driveway. Do all these things. You know what you're doing? You have a little slave class in your home. And what do you do? You sit on your couch, watch TV. Oh, look how righteous I am. I'm teaching servanthood. No, 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 no. You want servants. And I've talked to the kids that live in homes like this. And it breaks my heart. It's not good. If you're a parent like that, you need to repent and change your ways. If you're a parent and that's you, repent and change your ways. You see? And that's what Paul is writing about here in verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak. But it's not to please ourselves. We are not the benefactor, the strong. You're not the benefactor. Look at verse 2. Let us each please his neighbor for his good. You see, for his benefit. He is the benefactor. Let each of us please his neighbor. And you know what? This applies both inside and outside the fellowship, outside the church. Now, this, this word for neighbor... There are, when I say it applies for inside and out, the, inside and outside, you know, you're like, wait a second. I thought this is just for inside the church. Yes, Paul is writing a letter to the church. It's for Christians. But this word for neighbor 
it applies to both inside and outside the church. Look, turn with me really quick to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4 verse... Um, Ephesians 4, verse 25. Ephesians 4, 25. Paul, same writer, same spirit. Says in verse 25, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. Same word. For we are members of one another. One body. You see? We are members of one another. One body, many parts. Speak truth with, the, with with his neighbor. That coincides with what Paul also says, you know, let's not have disputes over doubtful things. You see? It's not that if you want to say Tuesday is better than Wednesday, that's not doubtful, you know? Fine. It's your service under the Lord. If Tuesday is a very special day for you to, you know, read the word, study the word, be in prayer, listen to a sermon. If Tuesday is a special day, praise be unto the Lord. You see? But then you want to start saying, you know, let's go grave soaking. Nope, we're going to have words. It's unbiblical. See, doubtful things. And so neighbor, there's uh, connotations. The word applies inside the church. But then at the same time, it also applies outside the church. Turn with me really quick to Matthew chapter 5. And here in Matthew 5, verse 43, red letters in my Bible. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. You see? So in verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And this is the same word for neighbor as we're looking at in, in, in our study in Romans. Same word for neighbor. So, of course, application, I mean, there's not a lot of uses for the word neighbor because, you know, as a noun, it's like, okay, it's a neighbor. And you think, okay, this is only for the church. This is only for the church. And I get that. But let's not dispute over doubtful things. Why? Because look at what our Lord says. Yes, you could say, oh, it's for, the, it's for the church. It's for the Christians. It's for my fellow brothers, for my fellow sisters. What does our Lord say in verse 44? Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. You see? That you may be sons of your Father in heaven... For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Do not even the same tax collectors do the same? Now, you hear me say my example for parents who want a slave class in their children. You know, they want to have five babies. They want to have, you know, ten babies, you know. And they have the 10 babies, but they want a slave. They want 10 slaves. Now, if that's you, if you're a child and you're in a home where you are a slave, hone in on these words. Pray for those who spitefully use you. What our Lord says in verse 44. Understand that 
you have more spiritual maturity than your parents. And a lot of parents, you know, they don't like it when I say things like that to their kids. But, you know, sometimes parents in the home, parents can be the babies. Spiritually speaking, sometimes parents can be the babies. And the kids are the spiritual heavyweights. I've seen it happen. And if you're a parent, you know, I don't want to hurt your feelings. You know, don't be offended. You know, if you are offended, it's a sign of the last days. You know, read Matthew 24, verse 10, sign of the last days. You see, many will be offended. So don't be offended. It's true. By your own, if you're a parent and you know, you have your slave class and your kids, your behavior illustrates your immaturity in Christ. And your children are being spitefully used. You see? Don't let that happen. If you're a parent and that's you, you need to repent. If you're a kid and that's you and you are being spitefully used, understand that you are more spiritually mature than your parents and still love them and still honor them. You see? They are in error. You are not. And I say this because I don't want to lose you. Because you might have a mindset that says, oh, man, when I'm 18, I'm out of here. When I'm 18, I'm going to go taste of the world. I hate this. I'm in slavery. And you know what? In a lot of ways, I get it. I mean, not in a lot of ways. I mean, I do get it. But then at the same time, it's like, wait a second. Understand what's happening here. It's your parents that are in the wrong, precious child. It's your parents that are in the wrong. They're the ones that need to repent. You see? And the words of our Lord ring even true for you. Even truer for you. You see? In verse 44, I'll say it again. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. If you're a kid and you're a slave under your own roof, pray for your parents. Be on your knees before the Lord. Seek his face and pray for your parents. You see, in verse 46, the Lord says, For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you, what do, you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. You see? And perfection happens in Christ. As we mature in Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. You see, faith can grow. Remember, we studied that. Faith can grow. So let's go back to our study in Romans 15. I mean, we're in our study in Romans 15, but let's turn back to Romans 15. So we see this, you who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak, but it's not to please yourself, pastor. It's not to please yourself, elder, ministry leader, parents. It's not to please yourself. Let each, in verse 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, for his benefit. You see, for the benefit of your neighbor. In my parent example, for the benefit of your children. In my pastor example, for the benefit of God's flock, God's lambs, God's sheep. 
for their benefit. Outside the church, for the benefit of your neighbor, for the benefit of your coworker, for the benefit of, you know, the guy at the bookstore, for the benefit of, you know, the lady at the grocery store, for the benefit of fill in the blank. Which he says in verse 2, leading to edification. This word for edification, of course, is to build up. It's building up. But it also includes actual construction, like building up, you know, laying the foundation, uh, putting uh, the framework in, the siding, you know, architecturally speaking, it includes all of that. And I love this so much. Why? Because we know that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone of the construction of this building up. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. The Holy Spirit building brick by brick by brick and adding his temple. He's building his temple. That's you. You see? And you say, wait a second. Why am I going to edify a non-believer? Why are you not? Does a non... I mean, I was a non-believer at one point in my life. You were a non-believer at one point in your life. You see? Who edify... Does not... You know... Any building, is there not a foundation? Any grand skyscraper, you don't start with the roof first. It might be prefabbed, you know, but putting it in the, the, the actual structure, that's last. No matter how tall the building is, no matter how big the building is, first is the foundation. Oh, but they're a non believer. Lay the foundation. What's the foundation? The chief cornerstone. What are you talking about? Give them the gospel. Tell them about Jesus Christ. Oh, but he's a heathen. She's a heathen. That's fine. They're on their way to hell. They're a heathen. They don't know the Bible. They don't know Jesus Christ. They're going to burn in hell. You want to let that happen? I'm not trying to, like, you know, impose a certain will on you, on the church, but understand the will of our Lord, that he is not willing that any should perish. You see? He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Understand that, my beloved friend. Understand that. Straight up rescue mission. That's what it is. So what is it? Do we edify uh, the church or do we edify the non-believer? What do we do? It's both. It's both. Now, don't cast your pearls before swine. You're not going to take deep. I mean, you can, but it's going to hurt you. It's going to go against you. And I see this a lot in evangelization. When people evangelize, when people share the good news, they take deep spiritual things and they give them to heathen. You got to be careful when doing that because don't cast your pearls before swine. Because swine don't understand what the pearls, they don't know what a pearl is. I mean, picture that. You take this, you go to the, the, the jewelry store, a fine jewelry store, and you get like a necklace, uh, thousands of dollar necklace, you know, and it's all pearls. And then you put it on a pig. You go to a farm and you put it on a pig. Do you think that pig is going to value? They don't know what that value is. They're going to wallow in the mud. 
The chain might break, it falls, and they might eat the pearls, and they're just going to get all muddy and dirty. It's just going to get nasty. They have no idea what these pearls are. Why would you give them pearls? No. You can give them nuggets, little nuggets of truth. Little nuggets of truth. Don't cast your pearls before swine. And a lot of Christians get hurt because they cast, they give pearls to swine and they get hurt. Like, oh, that swine really hurt my feelings because look what they did to these precious pearls. Well, you're in the wrong, Christian. You're in the wrong. Because look at what you've done. You've got like fine, fine jewelry and you've put it on a pig. You've put it on a dog. That's not good. That's not to say, you know, hate the pig and hate the dog. No, but understand that they're pigs and dogs. I'm not, you know, if you're a non-believer, hear me say this. Like, what the world? What is this? I'm metaf Metaphysically speaking, you know, these are the words of Scripture. Don't cast your pearls before swine. And if, if you're a non-believer, you're like, wow, this guy thinks I'm a pig. Well, let me tell you something. I was a pig too. I was swine at one point in my life. But God, who is rich in mercy and is gracious and loving, took me in. Why? Because I believed. And I believe you do the same. If you're a non-believer, you do the same. You say, oh, I'm offended. He called me a pig. He called me a swine. Well, so was I. I was in, those, I was in that boat too at one point in my life. The mud that you're wallowing in, I was there. I know that mud. And I know it's dirty. And I know you don't feel good about it. You say, oh, I feel good about it. I feel good. I like it. No, that's a front. That's a front. I've been there. You see? Let the Lord wash you and cleanse you. You have to believe. So, for the believer, it's both. It's to please your neighbor. It's not to please ourselves. For those who are strong, it's not to please yourself. It's to please our neighbor for his benefit. Which leads to edification. Non-believer or believer. Say, wait a second. Edification building up, okay? Every building needs a foundation. What's the foundation? Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. In verse 3, Paul continues. He says, for even Christ did not please himself. And I love this because we have the example in our Lord himself. We have him as an example. A beautiful, beautiful example. What a good shepherd he is. Even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. How this translates, the insults of those who insulted and taunted you fell on me. You see? You know how powerful that is? That the insults of those who Insulted and taunted you fell on me. How the Lord himself took it all. The brunt of reproach. He took it all. Why? Number one, in obedience to the Father. Number two, because of love. See? Love God, love people. He loved the people, surely. But he loved God even more. And he was obedient to the Father even more. Loving the people. You say, well, wow, how could that be love? Look, he died on a cross. Well, do you know what the Father was doing? Do you understand what our Father in heaven, hallowed be his name, do you understand what he was doing? Fulfilling his promises. Fulfilling his promises unto Abraham. 
I mean, and other and more. You know, it's not just period. It's more. And Jesus Christ was obedient to the death. And he says, the insults of those who insulted you fell on me and taunted you. It fell on me. That's what our Lord says, like a sheep to the slaughter. Now, people will hate you as Christians. People will hate you. You know, I don't care if you're weak or strong. When you're a Christian, people will hate you. People will taunt you. People will insult you while you're doing good. While you're pleasing your neighbor, while you're edifying your neighbor, people will still hate you. Maybe even your neighbor will hate you. And you're doing good. And they're the benefactor. Sometimes unbeknownst to them, they're the benefactor. But you know what? Don't be discouraged. Do not be discouraged. You, me, we can rejoice. Why? Because scripture is being fulfilled in you. Scripture is being fulfilled. You say, wait a minute. What in the world are you talking about? I don't get it. Well, turn with me once again to John chapter 15. John 15. And in John 15 verse 18, this is a very special passage for believers And I'll take it even further. A very special passage for the remnant. In John 15, verse 18, our Lord says this. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. You see, and it's so beautiful when we remember his words and reflect on his words, even as difficult as they are. That if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So this reveals several things. Disobedience. Disobedience on those who hate you. You say, well, they're they're non-believers. They're non-believers. They're still disobedient. Because what is the will of the Lord? They're still disobedient. Oh, but they're Christians. They're Christians. Even worse, because they know better. They're still disobedient. Now, it's important, you know, when you're non-carnal, non-hypocritical, and you have the fruit of the Spirit, and when they hate you, that's entirely different than if you're a jerk. You have to make that distinction. But be of good comfort when they hate you. When you're the brunt of insult, when you're the brunt of ridicule, be of good cheer. Why? Because scripture is being revealed. Uh, uh, scripture is being fulfilled. Disobedient people hate you. Disobedient people make fun of you. Disobedient revile you. You see? But even when that happens, you can rejoice. Why? Because 
You're part of a different family. And the words of our Lord are being fulfilled in you when you're the brunt of ridicule, when you're on the receiving end of these things of hate. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Verse 21, but all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know him who sent me. You see? If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. You see? If Jesus Christ had not come, they would have no sin. Remember Moses? You know, Moses, when, uh, um, you know, he, he killed an Egyptian, but the Lord didn't, the Lord had no beef with him. Why? Because the law of uh, a murder hadn't been given yet. But when Moses, when Moses was going to start his, in obedience to the Lord, when Moses was going to start his going back to Egypt, to free, to free Israel, the Lord wanted to kill him. Why? Because he was breaking the law of circumcision. That law of circumcision had been given already to Abraham. And Moses had two kids that weren't circumcised. And beautiful, beautiful Zipporah stepped in, in the intercession of a godly woman, the intercession of a godly wife. And, Moses, and the Lord relented from killing Moses. And he continued on being obedient to the Lord and being a lawgiver. Had it not been so for Zipporah, the lawgiver, you know, the, the vessel that the Lord was going to give the law to, the law through Moses, he would have been dead. He would have been killed. He would have broken the law, the law of circumcision. That same concept of timing of like, you know, when a law is given and when it's applied and when the, uh, uh, the penalty is applied, that same rule is what the Lord is saying here in verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now... They have no excuse for their sin. They are without excuse. You see? This is a very, very special message for the remnant. That if the world hates you, not if, today, the days that we live in today, when the world hates you. Remember and know that it hated our Lord first before it hated you. But be of good cheer, rejoice, because scripture is being fulfilled in you. Praise be to the Lord. Let's go back to Romans 15. Romans 15. Just as our Lord says here in verse 3, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And we get a little taste of that too. When the world hates you, we get a little taste of that. In some ways, we get a big taste of that. For the persecuted church, I want you to know that we pray for you. We're in this, you know, this bubble of the Western world. And, you know, which presents enough problems of its own. But the persecuted church, pray for them. Never cease to pray for the persecuted church. Our brothers and sisters in other countries, other lands, throughout the world. In China, in Russia, in Arab countries. Iran, Saudi Arabia. You know, lands where Christianity is illegal. Pray for them. I get reports, you know, I hear reports of what's going on in the underground church. And it's beautiful to see. But what we're also starting to see is the dark web. The dark web, which has been traditionally known for like very dark things. Churches are giving sermons online through the dark web. You know, you go to the dark web, you know, you... Punching whatever you get to where you need and you see a video, except it's a pastor and he's teaching. 
encouraging the body. You see, it's so interesting to see how the church is responding to these dark days and in these dark days in government overreach, you know, how police are getting very militant now, anti-Jew and anti-Christian, which is all in the spirit of Antichrist. It's all building up and it will come to a head. It will come to a head. And you know what? Christians will be killed. Jews will be killed. You see, perilous times. And so we read what scripture says here in verse 4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. Translates as, as didaskalia in the Greek. Didaskalia. It's instruction and doctrine. Instruction as doctrine. And it's both for the teacher and for the student. That's why you hear me say we're in the same boat. It's not a teacher unto students. It's the word of God unto us. Didaskalia. Instruction and doctrine for the Christian. Teacher and student. We're in the same boat. And what Paul says here in verse, verse 4, whatever things were written before were written for our learning. You see? That we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Through the patience translates as the cheerful endurance and comfort of the scriptures that we might have hope. And how beautiful it is. Because we look at verse 4 and all these things that were written before. I mean, we're spoiled now. This is Rome. I mean, for the church in Rome, I mean, I don't know if they had all the scrolls of the Old Testament. I don't know if they had all those scrolls. I don't know what letters they had on parchment that were written to other churches. I, I, I maybe not any. Maybe they just had report of what, what was going on in the in other churches. What was going on? What was Paul up to? What was Peter up to? What was going on in the church in Jerusalem? We today were super spoiled. Because we have the full counsel of the word of God, Genesis to Revelation. You see? And God wants us to be hopeful. God wants us to be hopeful in him and faithful unto him. And so we read verse 4, written before and today we're so spoiled because we have the full counsel of the word of God. And even more hope. You see? With the full counsel of the word of God, Genesis to Revelation. Let this ring true when you remember our studies on Wednesdays because it's included in the things that were written before and they're written for our learning. The Lord wants us to understand Him. The Lord wants us to understand more of Him, His nature, His character. Didaskalia. Instruction and doctrine. Instruction and doctrine for both teacher and student. You see? In verse 5, now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. See, it's so beautiful when you see this to be, be of the same mind, but of the same mind toward one another. And you see peace in the body, peace in the body, but then at the same time, according to Christ Jesus, sound doctrine. And how important it is for us to have sound doctrine. Because we're living in a day and age where sound doctrine is being thrown out the window. 
And I, I, I hate to say that. It pains me to say that. But I call it like I see it. You hear me talk about grave soaking. I mean, you hear that. like, How is this even possible for the church to be grave soaking? For Christians to be grave soaking? It's happening. I know. And we're the bad guys? Because we don't like to go grave soaking? We're the bad guys? Pastors who tell their, the, 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 the ministry team, they say, okay, we're going to put glitter in the rafters. We're going to put glitter in the rafters, and at my cue, you pull the string or you do whatever, and the glitter's going to fall down, and the teacher, whoever's teaching, is going to say, look, the Holy Spirit is falling down in the church. And you see all the people in the audience, you know, they have their hands lifted up. Wow, you know, the Holy Spirit is falling on us. What is that? So yes, it's to be, let us be, let the church, let Christians be of the same mind. Let us be like-minded toward one another. But it's according to Christ Jesus. Point blank, according to Christ. It's not according to, you know, Buddha. Not according to Muhammad. Not according to Mary. You see? Not according to the angels. There's a lot of angel worship which is happening. It's getting even worse. A lot of different factions. According to Christ Jesus. And the word became flesh. That you may be, that you may with one mind, translate says, and one accord, and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, sound teaching, sound doctrine. Sound teaching, sound doctrine. You see, according to Jesus Christ, according to Christ Jesus in verse 5. It's not one mind with apostasy. You see, it's not one mind of, you know, yeah, you want to go grave soaking? Okay, yeah, we're one mind. No, that's not one mind. I mean, people try to make it one mind. Oh, you're causing division. Let's not have division in the church. It's not good to have division. Wait a second. In accordance to doctrine? That's not sound doctrine. That's not according to Christ Jesus. The word became flesh. That is outside of Christ Jesus. So why am I to have oneness, union with that? With grave soaking, with blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You see? Why am I to have, why is the Spirit of Christ to have union with the Spirit of Kundalini? With the Spirit of Antichrist? With the Spirit of Satan? doesn't work that way. This is where a lot of Christians get into trouble. Because what Satan does and his minions and what his servants like to do, they like to say, oh, look, let's just get along. Let's be of a sound mind. Let's be of one accord. Look, for the sake of peace. You know, look, the Bible says we should be like-minded toward one another. Yes, but don't forget, it is also written. And this is even a hard one because it's the next phrase in verse 5, the next wording. Yeah, you're right. Let us be like-minded toward one another. It is also written, according to Christ Jesus. That's not even a hard one. It's right there, verse 5. One verse. According to Christ Jesus. It's very important because in the last days, people are going into straight up crazy town. Shocking. It's shocking what's permitted in the church. What they call holy laughter. Holy laughter. That's They say that's a gift of the Holy Spirit. And you see the pastor just start laughing, laughing uncontrollably. And then the congregation starts laughing uncontrollably. 
people falling on the ground laughing. They call it holy laughter. No, it's demonic. It's demonic. This is happening in the church. Remember, the last day's church is false, apostate, or true. You. You pick your camp. You pick your camp. That's what the Bible says. And so we continue reading here. And, you know, you might hear me say this and speak this way. Like, man, that's kind of scary. And you know what? The Bible refers to the last days as perilous for a reason. Because they are indeed perilous. Therefore, in verse 7, receive one another, whether weak or strong, receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, a diakonos is what it is, how it translates in the Greek, diakonos. So we get the word deacon, a teacher and minister and waiter is how it translates, diakonos. Jesus Christ has become a diakonos, a servant to the circumcision. Remember our study in Romans 2? The circumcision of heart. Christian females, Christian women. It's, 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 the, only, it's the only way a female can be circumcised. It's in Christ because it's circumcision of heart. You remember our study in Numbers? How, you know, people, uh, non-Jews, non uh, uh, people outside the camp of Israel, when they when they come in the camp, Gentiles, non-Jews, they can partake of Passover, but they have to be circumcised. You know, if somebody's not circumcised, they cannot partake of uh, Passover. Why? Because the Passover, what we looked at in Exodus 12 and in uh, uh, Numbers 9, it's a shadow of the things to come, the belief in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ himself is a diakonos to the circumcision, a servant to the circumcision. For the truth of God, for the truth of God, you see? Oh, verse 7, oh, uh, let us receive one another. Yes, it's good. Let us receive one another. Verse 5, oh, yeah, it's good. Let us be like-minded toward one another. Yes. Praise be to the Lord. But number one, according to Christ Jesus. And then number number two, verse eight, for the truth of God. Truth, sound doctrine. You see, let us be of one mind, but it must be in accordance to sound doctrine. Anything else is outside the mind of Christ. It must be within the confines of Holy Scripture. And that's where we're like-minded. That's where we're, you know, uh, 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 receive one another. It's in the confines of sound doctrine of Holy Scripture. In verse 8, for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers. Very interesting, this wording. To confirm the promises made to the fathers. And you know what I think of? Look at what an imposter Satan is. Look at what an imposter he is, Satan. Because you look at the events of the last days and Satan creates his, his own uh, trinity, you know, as a foe, as a, you know, F-E-A-U, as foe, fake, 
false, pseudo, you know, plasticos. And I say faux, also F-O-E, faux. He, he has his own uh, type. You have Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. The unholy trinity, the wicked trinity. Just, he has his own faux, you know. People will confuse in the last days, Christians, Christians who are deceived, Christians will fall under his deceiving aspect with all lies and lying wonders and signs, just as is written in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's a seduction. It's a seduction into his lies. And he's going to have, you know, Satan, the, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Attempting to be God. Trying to be God. But God is spirit. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. And the reason why you're like, why, why, why all of a sudden did He talk about Satan? Because you look at verse 8, to confirm the promises. And look what is happening here to confirm the promises that God made to the fathers in, in verse 8. And what is Satan going to do? What is the Antichrist going to do? He's also going to confirm a covenant. You see, read the prophecies in Daniel chapter 9. The confirmation of the covenant. Everything's fake. He's an imposter. Pretending to be God. So much so that he's going to sit in the temple of God proclaiming to be God. And when that happens, the true identity of the Antichrist will be revealed, is officially revealed. That's the middle of the 70th week of Daniel. In accordance with what the scripture says, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So you have Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet, which is a foe or pseudo God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the religious aspect with the false prophet who is going to usher in the mark of the beast, which, you know, we're already at the early stage. You look at what government is doing with certain marks and all these things. It's all gearing up. It's all leading up to this mandated mark of the beast. And some pastors, so-called pastors, I call them wolves, they say it's okay to take the mark of the beast. You can take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved. You won't lose your salvation. Don't take the mark of the beast. I don't care what whatever so-called pastor says. Don't listen to the wolf. I don't care what any pastor says. What any elder says. Do not take the mark of the beast. Never. Even if it means your head. Don't take it. Because it is sure damnation and condemnation. Don't take the mark of the beast. Oh, but this guy has his study Bible. That's nice. I don't care. Oh, but look, he has all these books. The New York Times bestseller. Sola Scriptura, Sola Scriptura. That's nice. Sound doctrine. Remember, sound doctrine. One mind. Like-minded. One spirit. But verse 5, according to Christ Jesus. One mind. One mouth. According to Christ Jesus. Verse 8. Uh, truth of God. For the truth of God. Truth. What does the Bible say? 
Oh, but this guy has a study Bible. Okay. I understand. He's in error. What does the Bible say? The Word of God. You know, people have hard times leaving fellowships. And I completely understand. I completely get it. It is heart-wrenching to leave a fellowship. But understand that if a pastor has gone astray, it's not, you know, the fellowship is going to follow. The fellowship is going to, you know, go in that direction of being astray. But our loyalty, the the Christian's loyalty is not to a man. It's not to a church. It's not to a religion. It's to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and Him alone. I don't care what anybody says. Oh, but this guy has his study Bible. He says it's okay to take the mark of the beast and I won't lose my salvation. That is so... And to this day, he has not recanted. He has not restated. He has not repented. He's doubled down. His ministry leaders, they've doubled down. Which is even more wicked. Do not take the mark of the beast. Never take the mark of the beast. Never, ever, ever, ever take the mark of the beast. I don't care what anybody says. Because your loyalty is to Jesus Christ. And the word became flesh. So you hear me say the last day's church is either false, apostate, or true. Okay, so I pray that you say you want to be with a true church. (laughs) I pray that you don't want to be with a false church, that you don't want to be with the apostate church. I pray that you want to be with the true church. Praise be to the Lord. If that's the case, you're already among the few. Now, in that church that's true, you're among the few. It's a 50-50 split. Remember, 10 virgins. Five are wise, five are foolish. So you think like, wow, you know, cool, you know, true church. I found a true church. I fellowship here. I fellowship there. I'm with the true church. Sound doctrine. Praise be to the Lord. I'm not discrediting the fellowship. In fact, I'm praising the fellowship. But then it gets more intimate. Now it's you. And what, you know, it's the church. That's one thing. That's one aspect. The church, beautiful. Sound church, a church that teaches truth. Okay. Praise be to the Lord. I, I, you know, I don't say that just to, you know, gloss over that. You know, I sincerely mean that. Praise be unto the Lord. But now it gets deeper. Now it speaks specifically of the virgin. Oh, 10 virgins. Praise be to the Lord. 10 virgins. Ten virgins who are awaiting the bridegroom. Praise be to the Lord. Ten virgins who have their lamps. Wow. Praise be to the Lord. Ten virgins who have oil for their lamps. Wow. This is awesome. Praise be to the Lord. Lord, you are so good. Ten virgins who go out to meet the bridegroom with their lamps lit in the darkness. They have oil. Whoa, Lord. Praise be to your name. This is so beautiful. Except something happens while in the dark. Five, they run out of oil. Their light starts to flicker more and more. It gets dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And finally, it goes out. 
It goes out, the fire goes out, the flame goes out, and all of a sudden they have no oil. They say, hey, you five virgins, give me some oil. The five virgins say, nope, this oil is mine. This oil is for me. This oil is for my lamp. And so the five foolish, they have to run and go get oil. And then they come back. It's too late. They're left on the outside where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, that's a scary parable. In one side, in one degree, it is a scary, it's a sobering parable. What the Lord gives us in Matthew 25. But then at the same time, it doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't have to. It's sobering still, but it doesn't have to be scary. That's why you hear me say, store plenty of oil. Be very, very generous with what, how the Lord blesses you, the giftings that he gives you. Be very generous with those things. But with the oil, be very selfish. That is for you. That's one of the very few instances, if not the only, where I advocate selfishness. Be very selfish with the oil. Because that's, it's intimate. It's for you. It's for your lamp. When the darkness, not if the darkness comes, when the darkness comes, it's for your lamp. You see what an imposter Satan is when he confirms, you know, the Lord in the prophecies, he's going to, how the, uh, well, what's written here, he will confirm the promises made to the fathers. But prophetically speaking, the Antichrist will also confirm a covenant. He does. He's such a faker. An imposter. An imposter. And you know what? Only the remnant will know who he is. Only the remnant only the remnant is keen to his workings, keen to his doings. Why? Because Holy Scripture reveals these things. The false church, they won't know. They'll be on board with the Antichrist. They're going to be on board with the spirit of Antichrist, the working of Satan in accordance with all lying wonders. They're going to be on board. The apostate church, they're going to be on board with the Antichrist. The remnant? They're on board with Jesus Christ. They're aligned with Jesus Christ and the truth of his holy word. And it's only the remnant who will know. In verse 9. And then Gentiles. So you see, the, the, uh, uh, the confirm the promises made to the fathers. Verse 9. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. For this reason, I will confess you among the Gentiles. And sing to your name. So this is a, 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 a Paul is referencing Second Samuel chapter twenty-two verse fifty. For this reason, I will confess you among the Gentiles, to sing to your name. And again, he says, "Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people." He quotes from Deuteronomy thirty-two, verse forty-three. And again, he says, "Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, laud him, all you peoples." He quotes from Psalm one seventeen, verse one. And again, he says, again, Isaiah says, he quotes from Isaiah, there shall be a root of Jesse and he, he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles in him, the Gentiles shall hope. That's from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 and 10. You see? Gentiles. 
Verse 9, Gentiles. Verse 10, Gentiles. Verse 11, Gentiles. Verse 12, Gentiles. Twice. Gentiles, Gentiles. Twice. Five Old Testament verses. You say, wait a second, five. There's only, you know, uh, what's written here in verse 9, 10, 11, 12. There should only be four. But, you know, his reference in Isaiah 11, that's verse 1 and 10. So I say five. Five Old Testament verses which confirm the promises to both Jew and Gentile. You see, there are people who've told me, oh, I don't like how you go to the Bible. You, you, you read past, let's just study the chapter. I don't like how you go to this verse and this where you jump over here, you jump over there. Well, I learned from the best. I learned from the best. Look how Paul, he's jumping around. I learned from the best. You see? Old Testament confirming the new. Old Testament you know, which sheds lights, sheds light on the new. And vice versa, the New Testament, which highlights the Old Testament. The New Testament, which interprets the old, the old interpreting new, new interpreting old, verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept. And what do we get? We understand the full nature, the character of our Lord, His heart. All these things are written, you know, is it Gentile? I mean, how many times do we see Gentile here in verse 9 through 12? You know, Gentiles, uh, among you Gentiles in verse 9, verse 10, oh, Gentiles. Verse 11, all you Gentiles. Verse 12, reign over the Gentiles. Gentiles shall hope. You see, wow, there's a lot of Gentiles. But it's also the Jew and Gentile. The root, the stump, the shoots, the branches see remember chapter 11 remember our study through romans 11 what a beautiful tree we see in verse 13 now may the god of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the holy spirit i love this verse so much and i've fallen deeper and deeper and deeper in love with this verse because he says may the god of hope cram you it's to cram like fill you up to the tippy top to cram you with all joy and no period with all joy and peace in believing this word for believing is pisteo which is that deep 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 and extreme trust in the lord is the same word that paul uses for abraham who was accounted to him for righteousness sake that kind of faith that kind of believing. Deep, deep, deep and extreme trust in the Lord. That the God of hope may fill you. Fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope. Now, this word for abound, it's really super abound is how it translates. I wish the translators would have done that, would have wrote super abound. There's not a lot of English words that, you know, super abound. It sounds kind of... It sounds kind of um, juvenile, you know, super abound, but I like that. Me personally, I like that. I like it when things are broken down into easy terms, simplified. I like that a lot. I don't like, you know, you talk to brainiacs and they use all these big words and you're like, what? You know, they, they try to sound all smart and they try to present themselves as academics and you listen to them and you're like, Man, you're struggling to keep your eyes open because wow, I want I I I I am falling asleep here. 
I don't even understand what this guy is saying. Half the time I'm thumbing through a dictionary. I don't even know what he's saying. But I wish the translators would have wrote super abound. But that's, that's how this word is. That the God of hope may cram you with all joy and peace in believing, pisteo, that extreme trust, that you may superabound in hope. You see? Remember, faith is the substance of things hope, hoped for. A lot of times people put, they don't put enough credence on hope. Oh, but my logic and intellect won't permit me to be hopeful. Well, you know what? Dethrone your logic and intellect. Dethrone it. And take that logic out and replace it with faith. And learn to hope. Exercise your faith. Have hope in future things. And pray for those things. Why? Because the Lord, He desires for you and me to superabound in hope. Still, no period. By the power of the Holy Spirit, by the dunamis of the Holy Spirit. Remember our study in the book of Acts? How many times did you hear me say dunamis, 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 dunamis? Because it's not your power. It's the power of the Lord. Just like what's written in verse 1, we who are strong or we who are powerful and capable, it's not your power. It's the, You're just a hose, a conduit by which the power of the Lord flows. I'm just a hose. The conduit. You're just the vessel, the cup. I'm just the vessel, the cup. It's the Lord that fills us. It's the Lord that crams. Verse 13 is such a powerful verse when you break it down. So powerful and beautiful. And applicationally, in terms of the hope that we can have. Wow. Super abound, my friend. Super abound, beloved brother, beloved sister, super abound. Oh, I can't super abound in hope because I'm an intellectual. I apply logic to this and that. I've talked with these people. Oh, I'm more of a periodic table kind of guy. That's nice. You don't have to throw that in the trash, but dethrone your intellect. Dethrone your logic. And apply faith. Learn to apply faith. Because remember... Romans 12, a measure of faith is given to everyone. Let your faith grow. That you may superabound by the power of the Holy Spirit. How beautiful verse 13 is. But then at the same time, it's kind of sad. It's sad because there are many, 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 many people of the religious kind, of the intellectual ilk, who they say, you know what? The ministry of the Holy Spirit, the gifting of the Holy Spirit, the moving of the Holy Spirit, that was for another dispensation. It was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. And it's sad. It's not for today. You know what that means? When people tell you that, you know, oh, that was for another dispensation. The Holy Spirit doesn't move like that today. When people tell you that, they're revealing something. It's being revealed that they have no power. It's also being revealed that they have no hope. 
There's no super abounding. And if they have hope, it's there's limitations to that hope. If they have power, there's limitations to that power. Why? Because all these things in verse 13 is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if somebody wants to denigrate the Holy Spirit and say that it was for 2,000 years ago, it's not for today. The Spirit of the Lord is a gentleman. A people with no power, no hope, no superabounding, no peace. Look at verse 13. All these things are done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Joy, peace, believing, superabounding, hope. So they have no joy, no superabounding, no hope, no peace, no cramming in of these good and beautiful things by the Lord, no relationship, no intimacy. And you know what's revealed? These people have religion. Religion. That's not good. You see? And these people are to survive in the last days? Such people are to survive in the last days? During perilous times? When it is written that no flesh will be saved even the elect, unless those days were shortened. Do you see how dangerous that is? People adhere to doctrine without testing the doctrine. That's very dangerous, and I never want you to do that. People adhere to doctrine without testing the doctrine with Holy Scripture. Oh, but this guy who has his study Bible, he says that this is okay. He says it's okay to take the mark of the beast and still be saved. Test that doctrine with Holy Scripture, with real doctrine, sound doctrine. Test it. It fails. It is found wanting. Those who advocate taking the mark of the beast and you can still be saved. You won't lose your salvation by taking the mark of the beast. Such individuals are enemies of the cross. Enemies of Christ Jesus. Wolves who bring harm on God's flock. God's sheep, God's lambs. We're in the last days. Verse 14. Now I myself am confident, he says, concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness. You see? So Paul himself is crammed. Paul himself is crammed and he wants them to be too. He says, I'm, I'm confident concerning you, my brethren, that you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to, able also to admonish one another. So one body, one mind, one mouth. And this word for to admonish is to call attention to, to put in mind, to warn, to rebuke, and to caution. You have a beautiful picture of the body. You see? Well, wait a second. You say, warn, rebuke, caution? I thought we're not to have any disputes. Chapter 14, verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. Tuesday's holier than Wednesday. Thursday's holier than Sunday. Sunday's the holiest of all days. Every day is holy. Everything you do is unto the Lord. Everything you do is unto the Lord. I have no beef with whatever your position is. You don't want to eat shrimp? 
Fine. I have no beef with that. You don't eat shrimp. You don't want to eat lobster? Fine. There's no beef with that. You want to go grave soaking? We're going to have beef. You want to take the mark of the beast and tell people that it's okay, that you'll, you'll still be saved? We're going to have beef. You see? That's what is written here in verse 14, chapter 15, verse 14. Filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. To admonish is to call attention, put in mind, to warn, to rebuke, and to caution. So yes, okay, so we're not having beef over which day. We're not having beef over which, which food. But somebody wants to go grave soaking, you can warn that individual, hey, brother, that's not right. Hey, sister, that's not right. Somebody grabs one of the sheep, one of the lambs. Hey, we're going grave soaking. Rebuke. Rebuke. That's when rebuking comes into play. You see? Understand, pastors, elders have different roles than the pew Christian. Not that it's, you know, not special in terms of like, you know, uh, exaltation. But special in terms of responsibility. Feed the sheep, tend the sheep, but then also protect the sheep. You say, here's sheep, here's some food. It's from the Holy Word, the Holy Scriptures. Here's your food. Eat, feed. The wolf comes, it's time to kill the wolf. It's time to kill the threat. The wolf, the lion, the bear, whatever it is, kill it. Metaphysically speaking. I'm not saying, you know, uh, someone wants to say it's okay to take the mark of the beast, you'll still be safe. Okay, kill him. I'm not saying that. Kill the doctrine. Kill the teaching. It's a wolf. Prepared for the last days. See? Sometimes people... They, they look at, oh, I don't like how you say it like this, pastor. I don't like how you teach like this, pastor. I don't like how you say this. It's very judgmental. You have to understand the pastor has a different role. Feed, tend, protect. You have to understand. And if you're a pew Christian, you might be a pastor one day. You might be an elder one day. You might be a Bible teacher one day. You might be a diaconos one day. You might be a presbyter one day. Whatever ministry, one day. If not a ministry already. You have to understand these things. Feed, tend, and protect. A lot of Christians get into trouble get themselves into trouble, usually by wolves, by the teaching of wolves. But it's still self-inflicted because the Christian is to be a Berean, test the scriptures. Oh, this guy says it's okay to go grave soaking. What does the scripture say? No, nope. you know, oh, I, I'm, I'm loyal to this pastor, so I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to go grave soaking. I'm loyal to this church, so they want to uh, 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 take the mark of the beast. They want to go grave soaking as a, as a congregation. Okay, I'm on board because I'm loyal to the church. No, the Christian's loyalty is to Jesus Christ. The virgin's loyalty is to the bridegroom. You see? 
You know what I love about the parable of the bridegroom? And the bridegroom and the virgins? They left their house. They, oh, he's coming, he's coming. Boom, they ran out ready to meet him. Forsaking, oh, forsaking home, forsaking mommy and daddy. You know, it. you see like adults, you know, they're very clingy to parents. And, you know, I understand. I'm not, if you're a parent, I'm not like, you know, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It can be a bad thing. But a lot of adults now, a lot of the millennial generation, these, you know, these young tykes, very clingy to mommy and daddy. It's kind of, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm like, you know, uh, uh, I'm, a, I'm a Gen X guy. You know, it's kind of gross to me. You know, I, I don't like, I don't like seeing like adult males that are like babies. It's kind of gross to me. You know, if you're a man, I mean, if, if you're my brother in Christ, you know, if you're clingy to mommy and daddy, I don't think you're gross. I think the behavior is gross. I still love you. You know, we're not going to have any disputes about it. We might, you know, when the word, we might, depending on how extreme it is. But I just think it's kind of gross. That's just me. But what I love so much about the parable of the virgins, it's like, boom, they know he's coming and they run out the door. You know, it's nighttime. You know, dad might have been, oh, stay indoors. Stay safe. Stay safe. Stay indoors. It's nighttime. Virgin dot, you know, that's nice. I'm out of here. You see? Mom, oh, no, stay here, stay here, baby girl, stay here. You know, oh, it's nice and safe for you here. That's nice. I'm out of here. Why? Because her loyalty is to the bridegroom. Let that be a strong message for us as the body of Christ. I don't know where you fellowship. I don't know where you go to church, but I know that churches in the last days have gone deeper and deeper into crazy town. And you might be in a fellowship that is in crazy town, has gone into crazy town, or you might have left a fellowship that has gone into crazy town. You know what you do? You stay loyal to Jesus Christ. They go into crazy town. That's nice. And I don't mean to excuse that like, you know, that's nice and, you know, forget about them. Pray for them. Pray for them. It's not. I mean, it's sad that breaking. It's terribly sad. But you know what? You're staying loyal to Jesus Christ. And don't forget that as Moses left Egypt, the Lord worked on him in his heart. And don't forget, Moses was a shepherd of Jethro's flock. But you know who was a shepherd of Jethro's flock before Moses? Zipporah. Look at the beautiful ministry of Zipporah. The wife of Moses. Teaching him. How did, how did Moses learn to shepherd? You see? The intercession of Zipporah in the circumcision. How beautiful it is to see this sacrificial behavior. Actions of a wife unto her husband. How beautiful it is to see this wife. Out of the limelight, who in very high probability taught Moses how to shepherd the flock of Jethro. And then when Moses was, you know, Zipporah was back home, Moses is out in the wilderness with the flock of Jethro, shepherding, tending, feeding the flock. And he hears a voice, Moses. Moses, and Moses goes to investigate. 
I love how that's captured in Exodus because he actually turns his head, pays attention to what he sees, the voice, what he hears, the voice, and he actually goes to the voice. You know, you see these all these beautiful little pictures of this inquisitive nature. And then the Lord speaks to him and says, you know what, you've, you've come out of Egypt and now I'm going to send you to Egypt. I'm going to use you. And you know what's so beautiful? Beautiful Zipporah. She's out of the limelight. She had, There's little mentions of her, like the uh, circumcision of the, her sons. Little mentions of her. The, the shepherding aspect, not so much mention of her. But where did Moses learn shepherding from? Jethro had no sons. He only had daughters. Beautiful, beautiful daughters. Kind of reminds me of Philip with his prophetess daughters. For my sisters in Christ, don't be discouraged when you see passages in Scripture which are very male-centric. I, I, I fully understand that. I fully get it. Very male-centric. Don't think that you're of lower class because you're not. Exemplified in Zipporah. You see? Look at Chloe, which we're going to study in a little bit. In Corinthian letters. And I get mad at pastors sometimes. Elders. They place women and like second class citizens in the church. It's not good. Women, you submit to your own husbands. You submit to your own husbands. You know, and beyond that, there's like all kinds of ministries that women could do. Teacher, teaching ministry. Not, not pastoral ministry. You know, unto men. Teaching unto men. That's not good. Biblically, that cannot be done. Outside of that, it's... We're going to study that in a little bit. But there are roles for women in the church. And a lot of pastors like say, women, you submit to men. Women, you submit to men. They do that in error. Because they say, women, submit to men, submit to men. And then you have all these robots in church. Women, females, old ladies, young ladies, and little daughters. They're like little, like slave class in the church. But no, women, you submit to your husband, your own husband as you're covering and your husband submits to Jesus Christ as his covering. The husband goes off into crazy town and is submitting to Satan. No, then the wife submits to Jesus Christ, bypassing the authority of her husband, but still holding on to her husband, not leaving her husband, but holding on to her husband, holding on to her kids, and your body becomes like a cross because you're under Jesus Christ and one arm is holding on to your husband, the other arm is holding on to your kids, and you're like a cross. Sacrificial. You see? And, you know, we have this, these passages in Holy Scripture. And then all of a sudden, you know, Paul starts to say to the body at the end of verse 14, you know, that you are uh, 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 filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. Don't forget that to admonish includes to, you know, to teach, to, to call attention to, to put this in mind, to help a Christian, to help a brother, help a sister, help a body. Keep these things in mind, but then also to warn. Also to rebuke. Also to caution. And these are things that come up in the body of Christ. And another brother, another sister comes and he says, Oh, you know, I don't like how you said this. If you're a teacher, if you're a pastor, if you're an elder, Oh, I don't like how you said this. 
You shouldn't have said this so hardcore. You shouldn't teach against this, this, this guy who says it's okay to take the mark of the beast. What are you talking about? Do you know how dangerous that is? Do you know how dangerous that doctrine is? That person is an enemy of the cross. Understand that pastors have a different responsibility and a different role. Tend, feed, and also to protect. Also to warn, also to rebuke. It's not just for pastors. Look at what Paul is saying to the church in verse 14. He says, I'm confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. It's the body taking care of the body. Admonish one another. And that comes with maturity in Christ. You know, a lot of times pastors get uh, tired. They run out of gas in ministry because they're doing everything. They're doing everything. They're, they're the janitor. They're the teacher. They're the counselor. They're the, and I'm not saying that certain responsibilities are bad. But as you mature in Christ in the body, say you're like a young lamb. And in the course of time, say you're like, you know, you, you're a, a, a weak one in the faith. A brand new believer. Not a weak like, oh, you're a weakling, but weak like, you know, you're still getting your legs. You still need to learn how to run. You still need to learn how to jump and frolic through the meadow. And in the course of time, your legs are going to get stronger. Your backs are going to get stronger. Your mind is going to be stretched. You're going to grow. You're going to mature. You're going to have knowledge. And a lot of times Christians in the church, they're in the pews. And another brother or sister will say, oh, what, is the, what does the pastor mean by this when he teaches like this? What does the pastor mean by that? And the Christian will say, go ask the pastor. Go ask him. When what should be said for that Christian, and I'm very cautious when I say what should be because, you know, I'm just the messenger. But biblically speaking, what should happen in accordance with verse 14 here is for that Christian to say, okay, brother, okay, sister, let's open up our Bible. You know, say it's after a sermon, you know, after a service, you know, there's times of fellowship, you know, people talk, you know, what if somebody says, hey, brother, hey, sister, what does the pastor mean when he says this? Oh, come here. Let's sit down. Let's open up the Bible. Do you remember when he said this? Yeah. Okay. Well, he was referring to this or, you know, you weren't here a couple Wednesdays ago and he was referring to this, what was mentioned in Leviticus. And this is what he means. And then this and this. And then the person would be like, wow. Okay. I get it now. Oh, you know what? I really like how you said that. You know, can you tell me more about this? You know, maybe you can tell more about And then ministries start to happen. That's the body taking care of the body. And instead what happens a lot of times, hey, brother, what did the pastor mean by saying this? And the brother will say, oh, you know, I'm talking about my TV programs. I'm talking about my movies. I'm talking about my sports. I'm talking about whatever. I'm talking about work. I'm talking about stocks. I'm talking about this. Go ask the pastor. No. It's a disservice to the pastor. It's a disservice to the elders. It's a disservice to the ministry leaders. And I'm not saying that ministry leaders have a role because there's certainly a role, teaching role, teaching aspects. But for the body, taking care of the body, helping the body, 
the body of Christ with one mind, one spirit, one mouth. In verse 5, according to Christ Jesus, what Paul says here, the be, being filled, full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another, able to call attention to another, able to put in mind of another, able to warn another, able to rebuke another, able to caution another. And Paul is saying, hey, church, do this. Do this. Admonish one another. The body of Christ. You see? And a lot of Christians, they say, oh, just ask the pastor. Go ask the pastor. I'm busy. No, 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 no. That's not good. Because that's how pastors get tired. Pastors get, they run out of gas. It's sad. It breaks my heart. But it's happening. You see it. It's self-inflicted. And how beautiful it is for a pastor to see that in the body of Christ. Wow, this guy is helping. This guy is, you know, this guy had a question about this passage. That was something that was said in the sermon. And this guy had a question about it. And this brother of mine, he went to help this guy. This sister of mine, she went to help this lady. Or this married couple, they went to help this other married couple. Or this sister went to help this brother. Or this brother went to help this sister. All carnality in the trash. You see, sacrificially, in service unto the Lord. And a pastor can see that, witness it, hear about it, and go be on his face before the Lord and pray. Lord, raise up this lady. Lord, raise up this guy in ministry. And then in the course of time, the pastor's going to get old, the pastor dies, and then all of a sudden, there's a new guy. A new pastor with the same heart, the same mind. Not of the pastor of Christ. The head pastor of every church. Who's able to teach. Not a novice. Able to teach. You see? It all fits. Everything fits. Old Testament, New Testament. The, the, the letters to Timothy. The letters to, 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 to uh, Titus. So the letter to Titus, but the letters to Timothy... It all fits perfectly. You're not like jamming puzzle pieces. Like, I think this fits and I'm going to make this fit. And you see a little gap and you're like, it doesn't fit, but I think it fits and I'm frustrated. I want it to fit. So I'm going to make it fit. No. Then you have bent puzzle pieces. Doctrine. It fits perfectly. It aligns Old Testament, New Testament. Everything aligns perfectly. It fits It's beautiful in the body of Christ because this is how ministries happen. This is how ministries grow. A sister can say, hey, let me tell you. And when I say sister, don't think like, you know, a 50-year-old, a 40-year-old, a 30-year-old, a 20. I mean, you can, but, you know, I'm not denigrating old oldness or I'm not denigrating your age. I shouldn't say oldness. I'm up there too, so I'm not denigrating, you know. But maybe it's a 15-year-old. Maybe it's a 13-year-old. You know, oh, you know what? Hey, brother, let me tell you about this. You know, you weren't here for the last month. You know, I don't know what you're doing, but, you know, it, whatever it was, you know, I saw your pictures on social media. It's not good. You need to repent. But you're questioning about this, what the pastor was talking about in Leviticus, what the pastor was talking about in Numbers when you weren't here. And I saw your social media pictures. You need to repent. And the brother can be, you know, another, you know, 15 year old brother or, you know, 20 or even an old brother, a 30 year old brother. 
man, you're right. Man, you're right. I'm going to repent. Forgive me. You know what? I'm, I'm not going to be that way anymore, you know? It's the body helping the body. A 15-year-old boy, a 15-year-old girl, and say, hey, brother, hey, sister, this is what he meant. This is what the Bible says. This is what we studied on in Leviticus. This is what we studied in Exodus. And ministries happen. But no, what happens today? Oh, hey, brother, what did the pastor mean when this happened? Oh, go ask the pastor. 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 And I'm not saying, I'm not neglecting responsibilities. But I also don't want you to neglect potential ministries. You see, sometimes the neglect of ministries, it's self-inflicted. So let's look what happens here in verse 15. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God. And you know what's so beautiful about this? We see, like, you know, you, you know that Paul is bold. We already know that he's bold. I mean, we've, we've read, we've studied the book of Acts. It's like, whoa, Paul is bold. And I love it. But you know what I love? The people around Paul, his entourage, men and women, they're also bold. I love that. Because you see, like, you know, the fruit isn't so far from the tree. How beautiful it is when that happens. Boldness in the name of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I have written more boldly to you on some points. But the purpose is for reminding because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ. In verse 16, that I might be a minister, which this root, this word in the Greek is leturgos. Leturgos in the Greek. You know, I've spoken with a lot of people before, a lot of religious people, a lot of people that are stuck into uh, Calvinism, Reformed theory, and even Roman Catholics. And they say, you know, I like the liturgy in a church. I like these aspects in the church where it's just more liturgous. I like this religious aspect because it really speaks to my heart. I like this really I like these things. I like this the sacraments. I like all these things. But wait a second, beloved. It's beautiful to like liturgy liturgy. It is a beautiful thing to enjoy and love liturgy. Biblically, however, liturgos, liturgy, biblical liturgy, it's inside the heart. It is not outward. It is not what you see. You see, you know, the priest walking around swinging his thing, it's swinging the, um, um, uh, what do they call it? The, um, um, you know, the smoke, the little, they, they swing around the thing and the smoke comes out and I, the, the priest walking around and people are like, wow, the smoke is going on the congregation. And wow. You know, the incense is going on the congregation. Look how holy we are. We are, you know, I, I like this liturgy. I like the sacraments. I like the appearance of holiness. Biblical liturgy. It's inside the heart. It's inside the heart. It is not outward. It is highly inward. It is only inward. 
liturgy. The outward aspect, that's fruit. The inward aspect, liturgos, how it translates in the Greek, is a servant in the temple. Also, a servant in the gospel. This word for minister here as liturgos in the Greek, it's a New Testament example. You know how on Wednesdays you hear me say it's an Old Testament example of pointing to the future, something in the New Testament. But this, it's a New Testament example of Aboda Aboda Mishkan. Our studies in numbers. Aboda Aboda Mishkan. The priesthood. A New Testament example. How many times in our study in Exodus, in Leviticus, in Numbers, do you hear me place emphasis for pastors, for elders, for Bible teachers, for ministry leaders, for youth leaders? It's for a purpose. It's for a reason. Because of liturgos. Verse 16, that I might be a liturgos, a minister. Oh, I like liturgy. I like liturgy. You're looking at it all wrong, Calvinist friend. You're looking at it all wrong, Catholic friend. You're looking at it all wrong, Reformed theory friend. Because liturgy is in your heart. Liturgos. A servant in the temple, a servant in the gospel. Aboda, aboda, mishkan. As new covenant believers. And that's what Paul says of himself that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. Remember, aboda, aboda, mishkan, a servant, a, a bond servant in the house of the shepherd. In the Hebrew, going for, back to Numbers, in the Hebrew. Same thing written here in the Greek. See? God never changes. What a beautiful lesson he's teaching for Israel in the book of Numbers. What a beautiful lesson he's teaching to you and me right here, right now. Aboda, aboda, mishkan. Liturgos. Ministry. The priesthood. You see, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles ministering. And this is, you know, a, a little different derivative of what's written in, you know, the minister in the first part of verse 16, but it's still a temple worker. Ministering as a temple worker. Keep this in mind as we study numbers. And as we study numbers, you know, keep the New Testament in mind. And as we study the New Testament, keep numbers in mind. And how beautiful it is to see this because it's like, wow, a temple worker? Well, what about the temple of the Lord? What about his kingdom? A temple worker ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Do you see how deep verse 16 is? The gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles, and how this translates is the offering up of the Gentiles. And the offering up of the Gentiles as an offering, as a presentation, 
as an oblation and as sacrificial that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, translates as pleasing, approved, acceptable, favorable, and to intercourse. Now, I have to say this. It does translate as to intercourse, but if your mind is going off into crazy town, don't let it go there. In obedience to Jesus Christ, bring, bring every thought captive unto him. You know, let your mind be on whatever is true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and anything praiseworthy. Let that be in your mind in accordance with Holy Scripture. So when I say intercourse, you know, don't let your mind go in the gutter. It's intercourse, which intimates extreme intimacy, oneness, oneness, not sexual, oneness. It's a deep, deep, deep relationship with Jesus Christ. Wow. Verse 16 alone. Verse 16 alone is very powerful in terms of what we see in the Old Testament, in Exodus, in Leviticus, and in Numbers. And we're going to study more in Deuteronomy. You see? Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan. Here, as New Covenant believers, we see a New Testament example of that. Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan, and Liturgos, the Hebrew and the Greek, all aligning to the same thing, the same concepts as servants in the temple, servants in the gospel. Jesus Christ being the, chief, the, the good shepherd in the, in the home of the shepherd in the Hebrew. Do you see what I'm talking about? You see how deep this is. And not just that, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable. You know, you look at the offerings that we read about in Exodus, in Leviticus, and Numbers. You read about those offerings, how holy the offerings are. How the, the sons of Aaron were consumed by fire because they offered strange fire. And you hear me give warning after warning, admonition after admonition, uh, caution to pastors and elders, Bible teachers, ministry leaders, in our study through the Old Testament, Leviticus and Numbers, even more so in Deuteronomy, and you know what we've done in, in Exodus. It's for a reason. It's for a reason. Because pastor, ministry leaders have a responsibility unto the Lord, but for the benefit of the flock of God. Not your flock, but for the flock of God. His lambs, his sheep, to feed them, to protect them, to clean them. You hear me say, you know, when we talk about the uh, um, um, leprosy, you know, male, female, leprosy. What if they're lepers? In, you know, in, in the law. And you hear me say, do you know how dead a priest has to be? Do you know how dead a Levite has to be? Do you know how God-loving and God-fearing a Levite has to be? A female in the camp goes to the Levite. Hey, Levite. I mean, I don't, whatever his name is. I'm just, you know. Hey, Levite. I think I have leprosy. Whoa, okay. Let's go into this private area. Just you and me, male and female. Just you and me. 
and the, the Levite says, okay, I'm going to turn around. You expose wherever it is, you expose it. And you tell me when you're ready. Remember, it's just them two alone in the private area. You expose it wherever it is. And then, you know, he turns around, he's not looking, you know. The lady's exposing it. The potential leper is exposing wherever it is. She says, okay, I'm ready. He turns around, you know, opens his eyes, and then, boom, he sees. And he might say, you know, inspect it in accordance with the law, what we study in Leviticus, in accordance with the law. And say, you know what? No, you're good to go. It's, there, there's nothing wrong there. You're clean. Praise be to the Lord. Let's pray. Okay, off on your way. Off on your way. You're clean before the Lord. Nothing to worry about. And how beautiful it is. It's like, wow, you know, this, this female in the camp, she wasn't sure. She wanted to make sure. Wow, praise be to the Lord. And he can do pray for her, intercede for her. Wow, Lord, she was so concerned about being clean. Lord, help her be clean. Help her in her relationship with you. Help her to be clean. That's what the Levites can do, the male Levite. But what if the male Levite, he turns around, opens his eyes, sees wherever it is on her body. It says, you know what? It's leprosy. It's leprosy. Okay, let's cover you up. It's leprosy. Now, we got to get you clean. We got to get you cleaned up. This is what the Lord says we have to do. And thus we're going to do. Let's go outside the camp. Come on, let's go outside the camp. I'm with you. I'm right here. Let's go outside the camp. We're outside the camp. Okay, look, you know, I'm going to pray for you. I want you to know I'm going to pray for you. You know, I'm going to bring your food. I'm going to check up on you. I'm going to do, I'm going to bring a drink. It's going to be fine. You're going to have water. You're going to have your food. Everything's going to be fine. And I'm going to be praying for you. You know, we're going to separate and I'm going to be on my face before the Lord. I'm going to be praying for you. Lord, clean her. Heal her of her leprosy. See, check up, you know. Come the next day, the lady has to say, unclean, unclean. Then the priest knows. And then the priest comes another day, she doesn't say unclean. So, wow, you know, maybe today's the day. Wow, Lord, you've answered my prayers. And then all of a sudden, okay, we got to do the inspection again. Okay, same process. You know, let's go into our private chambers, you know. I'm going to turn around. You expose wherever it was. You expose it and let me know when you're ready. Okay, it's ready, Levite. Okay, turns around, open his eyes. It's gone. It's gone. Praise be to the Lord. The Lord has answered our prayers. Wow, now there's provisions on going back into the camp, being grafted back into the camp. There's the, all these provisions that the Lord has made for Israel. And how beautiful it is. All those things, the offering unto the Lord. Lord, that this female is clean now. Wow, look, here's an offering unto you, Lord. We thank you, the wave offering, Lord. We thank you, we praise you. Okay, now, you know, lady, I mean, I don't have a name for her, but, you know, lady, you know, you go back to your tent. You have to stay outside the outside your tent, you know, and just for a period of time, and then you can go back into your home. You're not back into your home. Everything's fine. You're at peace with the Lord. You're cleansed by the, by the Lord. You're clean in accordance to his word, in accordance to his statutes. You're clean. Do you know how dead a priest has to be for all that to happen? Do you realize how dead a priest has to be? And I'm speaking of the law. But now I speak of the law of faith. 
Do you know how dead a pastor has to be? Do you know how dead an elder has to be? For the sake of a female in the church, a sister in the church, a lamb of God, a sheep of God, one of his flock, in order for her to be clean for the Lord. And this so-called pastor is going to be a wolf unto her. No matter what she exposes, no matter what type of sin she exposes, no matter what type of uncleanness she exposes, and you're going to cover uncleanness with uncleanness? Can't happen. The unclean cannot clean. It's only the clean that can clean. You see? That's why, you know, we get, we're going to get into passages where, like, high priests are killed by the Lord. Priests, Levites, are killed by the Lord. Why? Because they're unclean, and the unclean cannot clean the unclean. It's only the clean that can clean the unclean in accordance with the Word of God. But the same thing applies to you and me today. I say pastors. I say elders. But you know what? I look at the pews. I look, I look at the pulpits. I look at the pulpits. And I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed. You say, well, who is this guy? Where does he get off saying this? I, I, I really... I'm more impressed with what I see in the pews than what I see in the pulpits. To be honest, I'm more impressed. Not that I need to be impressed, but what I read in Scripture, what I see in Scripture, and when I take my eyes off Scripture, I look up at what I see in the body. I'm more impressed than what I see at what I see in the pews than what I see in the pulpits. Because what I see in the pulpits are a lot of man pleasers. I, I see a lot of, you know, the man-pleasers and not the God-pleasers. People who love people, men who love people more than they love God. It doesn't work that. It's not the way the equation works. Love people, yes, but never more than God. Never, never, ever, ever more than God. Never. And sometimes in the pulpits you see wickedness. Oh, but he's a man of God. Look, he's got his master's degree in theology. He went to this seminary. That's nice. What does the Bible say? That's why when we study the Leviticus, Exodus, Numbers, and I'm going to say it, I'm going to keep saying it. Do you know how dead the priest has to be? Do you know how dead the high priest has to be? Because there's in service unto the Lord. Abodah, abodah, mishkan. A bondservant in the temple. A bondservant doesn't do his own will. A bondservant doesn't do her own will. A bondservant does the will of his master. A bondservant does the will of her master. You see? So you look at verse 16, like, wow, this is really, really hardcore. Ministering the gospel of God that the offering of the Gentiles, not the offering that they offer, but the offering up of the Gentiles, like the Gentiles are the offering. Remember in uh, chapter 12, present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. Well, in the Old Testament, who do the people present their offerings to? They present it to the Lord, but who are the vessels that are used? The priests. The Abodah Abodah Mishkan. 
the liturgos, to use a Greek word. And so the lamb comes to you, pastor, elder. The sheep, they come to you. Oh, I have a problem, pastor. I have a problem, elder. What's the problem? And you have to be dead. You must be dead, oh pastor. You must be dead, oh elder. And when I say dead, dead in Christ. Dead to the law. Hearken to our study in Romans 7. Dead to the law and alive in Christ. Married to Christ. Oh, but I'm a man. How can I marry a man? No, in Christ there's no male, female. Remember, oh pastor. Remember, oh elder. No male, female. Married to Christ. And in service unto him as liturgos, as abodah, abodah, mishkan. Come here, brother. Come here, sister. What's the problem? Oh, I've done this. I said this. Okay. Let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you cleaned up. And you have to be dead, oh pastor. You have to be dead, oh elder. And so look what happens here. And this offering, this offering is the Gentiles. This offering is the church. The church that they might be acceptable, pleasing, approved, acceptable, favorable to intercourse. It's that deep relationship. And sanctified, which translates as consecrated and made holy by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. You see? If you're listening... And you're a pastor, you're an elder, you're a teacher, you're a, a deacon, you're some type of ministry leader. It's all holy. It's not a popularity contest. It's not, oh, you know what, I'm a better teacher than this guy. You know, oh, I, you know, I can lift more weights than this guy. Oh, you know, my hairstyle is better than this guy. Or, you know, uh, whatever, my fashion is better than this lady, my I say lady because a lot of guys nowadays, they talk about fashion. I'm not like that. I don't care about fashion, but some guys are. But I equate it to ladies, so that's why I said ladies concerned about fashion. If you're a guy and you're into fashion, you know what I think about it. But if you're in ministry, it's not a popularity contest. It's not how many likes you can get on social media. It's about souls being right with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're, if you're liturgos, if you're abodah, abodah, mishkan, if, I say if, not since, I say if. It's holy. It's holy unto the Lord. Your service unto Him. If your new wineskin Full, being filled, crammed with new wine. If. Now you see why I say, reckon the old man then. And I'm just the messenger. Paul says it. Peter says it. James says it. Jude says it. Jesus says it. The prophets say it. The Lord says it. I'm just the messenger. You have to reckon the old man dead, the old woman dead. You have to carry your cross. And your, remember, your cross is an instrument of death. And you can be crucified with Christ. 
Remember, you mean the passage, what Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Remember, that's Paul that says that. Paul says in Galatians 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. That's Paul saying it. It is no longer I who live. Again, that's Paul. But Christ, live in, Christ lives in me. Again, Paul. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, that's Paul that's saying this. Now, it's not to say that this verse is not for you. But when you look at the life of Paul, when you look at his state of deadness, now you understand his words when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. What about you? And people say, oh, I'm crucified with Christ. And you look at social media, they're getting drunk last night. They're going to the strip clubs. It's like, what? You know, unfollow, you know, unfriend. I can't see this stuff anymore. It's, it's disgusting and it breaks my heart. Oh, but I'm crucified with Christ. Oh, I don't see crucifixion there, brother. I don't see crucifixion there, sister. I see marriage unto the law. Remember our study in Romans 7? I see marriage unto the law. I don't see deadness to the law. I don't see life in Christ. And if I don't see life in Christ, that means something. That means that the old man is still alive. That means that the old woman is still alive. And all its carnal implications. You need to carry your own cross. And when you do, knowing, remembering that the cross is an instrument of death, then verse 20 of Galatians 2 comes into play. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see? It's deep. Liturgios. It's deep. Oh, I like to see liturgy. I want to go to a church where there's liturgy. I need to see the sacraments. I need to see the priest swinging the little smoke thing around, you know. I need to see all that because it makes me think of holy things. It's, you know, it's, it's pleasing to my eyes. It makes me think of holiness. Wait a second. That's religion. Biblical liturgy. Biblical liturgios. Liturgy is inside the heart. It is not outward. Man looks at the outward. God looks at the inside. Where is the liturgos in your heart? Sanctified by the Holy Spirit, he says in Romans 15, verse 16. Sanctified, consecrated, and made holy by the Holy Spirit. This intimacy, this beautiful intimacy. You know, the, to intercourse and to have deep relationship. Protect your minds when I say deep in, or intercourse and deep relationship. It's not sexual. It's oneness. Oneness. Remember these things. When we're going to talk about marriage in a couple of chapters in, in, in Corinthians, we're going to talk about marriage. And Paul says, you know what? I suggest this. You know, I suggest not getting married. And, you know, 
I don't like teaching about marriage because a lot of married people, they get offended by the things I say. It's not that I don't like marriage, but to understand our marriage is to Jesus Christ. Single people, it's like, you know, it's like, I want to get married. I want to get married. I want to get, I get it. I understand it. You know, if you are, you know, given into sexual sin, get married so that you won't, you won't, you, you like, you won't burn. You know, that's what Paul says. But don't forget, there's marriage unto Christ. Deep, deep, deep intimacy, deep relationship, and yes, intercourse, non-sexual. Remember, in, in our glorified bodies, there's, there's no like husbands and wives in heaven. Don't forget that. No husbands and wives in heaven. And I love how Paul even says, he said, I'm just going to give you a suggestion, guys. That you refrain, you know, that you be like me. And he was single. That you be like me so that you can please the Lord. That's what he says. And we're going to study that hardcore when we get into the Corinthian letters. Not to denigrate. Mar marriage is a beautiful institution. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful institution. But learn from it. Learn these deep spiritual things. Like, Had it not been for my marriage, I would have never understood these things as I do today. But because I've gone through it, I'm living it, I understand it beautifully. And it makes me love the Lord Jesus Christ even more. You see? Look what Paul says here in verse 17. Therefore, I have reason to glory in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. He says, therefore, I have reason to rejoice, is what he says. In verse 18, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. Very interesting how he says this. Obedience. Obedience. It can never be mandated. Never. It can never be mandated. It can never be mandated by God. It can never be mandated by man. It has to be given to the Lord. Obedience. Your obedience unto Him. You have to choose obedience. You know, God doesn't make anybody be obedient. I mean, you remember our studies in, 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 in chapter 9. Even in chapter 11. He doesn't... It, we're not robots. You have to be... You have to render obedience unto Him. And I love how Paul says this because... He says, you know, for the objective at the end of verse 18, to make the Gentiles obedient, which understanding that obedience can never be mandated, but it can be shown and illustrated by Paul. Paul can illustrate obedience, what obedience looks like by his examples. Remember how Paul says he's a pattern, how the Lord appoints these people as patterns for, for emulation you have certain Christians in the body of Christ that are patterns like, you know, like cookie cutter, you know, not that we're all cookie cutter, but that for as a pattern. There are men in my life that are a pattern for me to follow. There are females in my life which are a pattern for me to follow. You say, well, a man shouldn't. Wait a second. What about these attributes of the sister? What about the work of the, the spirit in this sister's life, in this brother's life? Those are admirable things, and I want to pattern match after those things. You see? And the Lord says, 
Inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul writes about these things. You have such people in the body of Christ which are as patterns for emulation. And that's what Paul is saying here. Paul can't mandate obedience, like the end of verse 18, to make the Gentiles obedient. Paul can't mandate obedience. He can't mandate people to be like robots. Because if that were the case, people wouldn't be worshiping God in spirit and in truth. They'd be programmed robots. But obedience can be shown. Can be, obedience can be exhorted. Obedience can be taught. Obedience can be taught in word and in deed. And people can see by example, the life of Paul. His hands, his feet, the works of his hands, the steps of his feet, the speech of his mouth, the outpouring of his heart. And Paul says, I dare not speak of those things which Christ has not accomplished, which Christ has not fashioned and performed through me in word and deed. With Paul, no hypocrisy, no carnality, no lip service. Paul isn't saying, hey guys, I want you to behave like this. I want you to act like this. And then he goes off and does crazy stuff. No way. No. He's liturgos. He's aboda aboda mishkan. His service is unto the Lord. No hypocrites. You ever talk with non-believers? And they say, I want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Why? How come? Because, you know, the pastor was a hypocrite. He would teach this. He would teach that. And then I saw him at the bar and he was getting drunk. You know, my friend said he saw him at the strip club. My friend said he saw him getting high. Wicked, wicked pastor. So-called pastor. Wicked, wicked guy. Hypocrisy. Carnality. Paul saying... I dare not speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished, which Christ has not performed and fashioned. He's not a hypocrite. You could look at Paul and say, wow, look, you know, he speaks like this, but look at his life, look at his feet, look at his hands. No hypocrisy. You see? Obedience, it can be shown, it can be taught. We see it in Holy Scripture. But in the spirit of liturgos and abodah mishkan, in that spirit, in that vein, it can also be taught by example. You know, just like we started off in verse 1, those who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. For You hear me talk about parents? Oh, I'm teaching servanthood. No, you just want a servant. I mean, you know, I see it a lot in the church. Parents who have like, you know, multiple, like five kids, seven kids. Oh, I'm teaching servanthood. No, you just want slaves. You know, 12-year-old daughter has no friends, has no no relationship with anybody. You know, no friends, no no uh, 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 um, fellowship with somebody of her own age. But she's like a mom, a 12-year-old mom. With, you know, baby number one in one arm, baby number two in another arm, you know. And the real mom, the biological mom, is, you know, on the couch, sitting down, you know, watching TV. And you have a 12-year-old girl with babies. Not even her own babies. Oh, I'm teaching servanthood. I'm teaching servanthood. No, you're not. You want a servant. If you want to teach servanthood, you teach by example. 
That's what Paul is talking about here. In verse 1, I mean, we talked about that in verse 1. But he's speaking in verse 18. He's speaking of himself. By example. Example. In verse 19, he continues in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Very interesting about Illyricum. Because, excuse me. About sometimes you, it, it, just so you know, if you hear me take these pauses, I have to drink. I have to drink like a hot drink. My drink that used to be hot, it's now cold, but it's still drink nonetheless. But it's to soothe my throat. It's for my throat. So when you pray, pray for my throat because it's it it hurts. So like it, so very interesting what we see here about Illyricum because this is the only mention of Illyricum. There are theories about when Paul was in Illyricum, and you know, there's no disputing about this. I'm not going to argue with anybody about this, as is written in in uh, Romans 14, verse one. No disputes. Me personally, around the beginning, the first couple verses of Acts 20, that's where it's most probable. That's because there's certain verses where Acts 20, verse one and two. There's certain generalities that that are written by Dr. Luke in Acts 20. Where you could see, okay, this is highly probable that Illyricum was, you know, when Paul says here that it round about to Illyricum, that it happened right around that time frame, Acts, the beginning of Acts 20. So there's certain theories, but me personally, it fits nicely right in, around that time frame. And Paul is saying that I have preached the gospel of Christ. Mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. And then he says this in verse 20. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. Uncharted territory. Very, very beautiful. Fresh powder, so to speak, if you're a skier or a snowboarder. Fresh powder. He wants to go into uncharted territory, which is completely understandable. It is godly. It is obedient, especially when you read the book of Acts, you see like, wow, this is like all these things in obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. All these things are happening. So you read verse 20 and it's beautiful to see. He doesn't want to go build on another man's foundation. Somebody else has started a church in one area. Paul's not going to go there and take over the church. He says in verse 21, but as it is written to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. Now, understand this. A lot of wayward shepherds, a lot of wayward pastors use verse 20 as an excuse. They use it as an excuse. That's why I say, you know, it's uncharted territory, you know, fresh powder. And Paul says, I want to go where there's uncharted territory. I want to go there. And I get it. And you read the book of Acts, the Lord is directing his steps. The Lord is guiding. But at the same time today, what you see growing in popularity, especially among the false teachers, especially among the wicked shepherds, so-called shepherds, 
They use verse 20 as an excuse. Don't build on my foundation. Don't build on my foundation. And it is true in verse 21, as it is written to whom he was not announced, they shall see. And those who have not heard shall understand. But what happens when blindness has come into the church? That's my question, oh pastor, if you're a pastor. That's my question. What happens when blindness has settled in and entered the church? Don't use verse 20 as an excuse. Now, if you're a lamb, if you're a sheep, pardon my vernacular in saying this because I say this specifically to the wayward shepherd who I know listen. To the wayward shepherd, you've left the foundation. You have left the foundation. You want to use verse 20 as an excuse? Don't build on my foundation. Don't build on my foundation. Wait a second. You're the one who have who has left the foundation. Don't forget verse 20 is in the beginning of seed planting. The very beginning. Today, we're close to the harvest. The harvest. Different time. Different dispensation. Let's turn really quick to Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1. And in Malachi chapter 1, to the priests, to the priests, to the Abodah Abodah Mishkan, the ones who were supposed to be Abodah Abodah Mishkan, bondservants in the shepherd's house, in accordance to the Hebrew, in accordance to the law that was given in Numbers. The statutes to these individuals, the Levitical priesthood, not to exclude the Kohanim. To these individuals, Malachi 1 verse 10 says this, Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? Whoa. Can you imagine going to church and say, like we're, we're in the Old Testament, we're in a time machine, we go back, we're in the camp of Israel, and the, 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 not the tabernacle, but the temple. The temple is built. We go back in time, we're in the time machine. Who is there? We're going to the temple, say we're about to enter the temple, but who would there, who would slam those doors shut and say, don't go in here. Don't go in here. It is no longer holy. Who is there who would say such a thing? It is no longer holy. And that's what is written here in verse 10. Who is there even among you of the Kohanim, of the Levitical priesthood, not to exclude the Kohanim? The priesthood. Who is there even among you, priests? Who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? You see? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. Do you know how sad this is for the people? I mean, it's sad what's happening for the, I mean, for the Lord's heart because he's long-suffering. For the Levites and the Kohanim, but above them, for the people, not above the Lord, but above above the above the priesthood because they they know they have a responsibility and they they know but for the people how are they going to be right before the lord see there's 
a family in sin. There's sin in their tent. There's sin in their home. And then the father gets up, you know, gets his home correct, you know, make sure that, you know, respect the kids, you know, whatever, whatever has to happen, you know, does his, as his duty as a father. And then he takes the best of his lamb, the best of his flock, just the best. Say so he's poor and he takes his, the best turtle dove without blemish. And he goes, he goes, approaches the priest. And the Lord is saying here in verse 10, I have no pleasure in you, says, not to the guy, not to the guy with the turtle dove or the guy with the, the lamb or the guy with the sheep. He says, I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. He says that to the priests. To the priests. Why? Because they've mocked the Lord. They've kindled fire on his altar in vain. You see, he says in verse 11, for from the rising of the sun, even to its, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. Just like Paul wrote about when we're studying chapter 15 of Romans. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name, to my name and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. That poor guy with the turtle dove, that poor guy with a, a, a lamb. Sin needs to be atoned for. And he goes to the priest and the Lord has told the priest, I'm not going to accept anything from your hands, priest. I have no pleasure in you, priest. You see, you kindle fire on my altar in vain, priest. Who is among you, priests, who would even shut the doors? No, they, were, they kept the doors wide open for business, you see? No longer the Lord's business, it was their business. Look at verse 8, still the same chapter. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, so remember in the law, you know, animal without blemish, turtle dove without blemish, lamb without blemish, sheep without blemish, ox without blemish, everything without blemish, nothing mangy. Remember? Nothing mangy. And what is happening here? The mangy are being offered as sacrifice. So somebody comes in with, you know, a pure spotless lamb. So here, here's my offering. But then the next guy comes in with this mangy old turtle dove, this mangy old ox. Ah, oh, it was nothing anyways. I was just going to kill him anyway. So here, I'm, I'll offer it to the Lord. That's not good. The priest should be the ones to say, hey, this is, this is not good. You need to offer me, offer the Lord. You need to bring something here better than this, not the mangy one. I see your flock. Look at all those flock. Look at all those lambs. Look at all, look at all those ox. You're going to give this mangy one to the Lord? No, that is not pleasing before the Lord. You see? The priest should be the bulwark. No, this isn't going to happen. We have to please the Lord because the Lord has to be with us. The Lord has to be with you in your home and bless you in your home. The Lord has to bless us as a people. In verse 8, and when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? Whoa. Evil, the priesthood, the Levites, the Kohanim, not to exclude the Kohanim. The priesthood, evil. That's what the Lord is saying. 
when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor, exclamation point. That's what he says. Give it to your governor. You don't want to be governed by the Lord, so give it to your governor. And if you do so, would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Whoa. The, the priests became man-pleasers instead of God-pleasers. You see? Such is the case in the last days. The last days so-called pastor who will become a wolf. It's possible for shepherds to become wolves. Listen to our study in Acts 20. Do you remember our study in Acts 20? To the elders of Ephesus, the Miletus meeting. And what happened? Paul even said, you know, wolves, some of you guys are going to become wolves. A lot of pastors, they say, don't build on my foundation. Don't build on my foundation. They use Romans 15, 20 as an excuse. Don't build on my foundation. And to the wayward pastor, I say this, you've left the foundation. You've left the foundation. You cannot apply verse 20 because you've left sound doctrine. You teach heresy. So verse 20 is not applicable. Doesn't apply. Why? Because of your own choosing and your own doing and your own teaching, which doesn't align with the word of God. You need to repent. If that's you, if you're a pastor, if you're an elder, you're in leadership, whom I know, listen, you need to repent. Go on hiatus. Maybe step down from ministry, pastoral ministry. Maybe step down. I don't know. I would say step down. Well, get hardcore. Get your heart right with the Lord. Repent before the Lord and repent publicly. Get right with the Lord. You know why? Because we are in the last days. In the last days. And it's no joke. Perilous times are here. Look at verse 22 in continuation. For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. You see Paul's heart. How beautiful it is to see Paul's heart. Hey guys, I want to come to you, he says. I want to come visit you. I want to see you. I want to come to you. You see Paul's heart. Remember, before he was Paul, he was Saul. I mean, you know, name reference. And what did he do as Saul? He was killing Christians, imprisoning Christians, having them beaten. Making the decision, influencing the decision for uh, capital punishment, corporal punishment. Making the decision, influencing the, these decisions unto the church, unto Christians, unto saints. And here he is now, a shepherd. You know, as shepherds can become wolves, wolves can become shepherds too. You see? Look at Paul. And he desires to see the church. He desires to see the saints. Verse 23, But now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. Wow, how long the, this burgeoning uh, desire in his hearts to see the church in Rome, to visit with them, to fellowship with them, this, this great desire for him to be with the saints. 
In verse 24, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. Again, you see Paul's heart revealed. And you know what's also beautiful? Paul's far from being done. Here he is in his, I mean, we can, we can attribute this particular passage to around Acts 20. And he's not even done. I mean, in his mind, in his heart, he's like, when I journey to Spain, he's in his mind, he's like, well, I'm going to Spain. I'm going to Spain. You know, he kind of has things plotted out. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. You see, wow, Paul, he's not done. But then at the same time, we see how this pans out. He says, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped, to be escorted and aided on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while, you see, to enjoy is to be filled. How this translates is to be filled greatly and sad, to be filled and to be greatly satisfied. The enjoying of company, fellowship of the saints. That's one of my favorite things in the body of Christ is the fellowship of the saints. My ultimate favorite thing is teaching the word of God. Going through the word of God and teaching and pouring out, pouring into little tiny ear holes. And then when I go pray, I pray that whatever went into your little tiny ear holes goes right down into your heart and boom, just blows up, blows up for the Lord's glory. That's my prayer. After every message, after every sermon that we give, that's my prayer. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's my ultimate joy. That's my ultimate love that I have in the church, in ministry. Is that the word, the seed gets planted in your heart and just blows up like crazy in your life for the Lord's glory. Fruit unto Him. Next in line to that is the fellowship of the saints. I love it. The fellowship of the saints to enjoy company. Fellowship. You know, sometimes I go to people's houses, you know, and say, here, I have this meal. And it's like the most, it's not very tasty. It's not very good. But I don't care. What's even more tasty is the fellowship. You see, it's beautiful. Drinking tea, drinking coffee, fellowshipping, laughing, studying the word, you know, how is it praying? All these different things. And I love it so much. You know, and sometimes you go and you have good food too. Sometimes it's really good. Like, wow, this is awesome. But you know what? If it's not good, it's like, well, it's still awesome because it's fellowship of the saints. It's my favorite thing. Favorite is the word, the study of the word and praying for the seed. That's my ultimate favorite. The ultimate. Ultimate. Next in line is the fellowship. That's it. You see? In verse 25, but now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia. You see the body, Achaia, Achaia. You see different pronunciations. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia, the body of Christ, Christians, the saints in Macedonia and Achaia, to make a certain contribution for the poor, for the poor. Now notice here, for the poor, it's not, well, several things we see here. Remember the diaspora when there was a great persecution that arose against the saints? It happened around the time Stephen was killed, and that's around the time Paul started to heavily, heavily persecute the Christians. Saul, I should say, before his name changed or his name reference. And there was heavy persecution. And what happened, a lot of Christians just left. They were, boom, I'm out of here. We're, we're, we're out of here. Understandably. And you know, mobility for the wealthy 
super easy. Super, super easy. You know, you could lose value in a home. No big deal. You've got a nice, good old tax code. Lose value in a home. No big deal. It's good for taxes. You know, depending on how you have trust set up and uh, there's, there's ways you can do it. And it turns out favorably. Only the wealthy do this because it requires a lot of assets. Um, it's insanely easy. Mobility for the wealthy. For the wealthy. You know, you tell, you tell the, the realtor, hey, um, find me a house in wherever. Find me a house here. And, you know, go move to a, a loft. That's your temporary home. Mobility's fine. You hire people. They move everything. You don't even do anything. All you do is just, you know, sign and, you know, pay. That's it. Sign and pay. That's all you do. You know, you get on a plane, fly over here. Boom, the movers come. They put everything how you want it. Piece of cake, sign here, pay here. All these trans wireless transactions, everything's happening. No big deal because you have a lot of assets. Realtor found your house. You look at, look at the house. You like it. Boom, here's my new house. You can keep your other house or you can sell your other house. Boom, everything's fine, dandy, e easy transaction. It's super easy for the wealthy to move. Super easy. But the poor. What about the poor? What about the poor? It is very difficult for the poor to move. And there was heavy persecution in Jerusalem. Heavy persecution. All the wealthy class, they pack up their bags, they leave. What remains? The poor. And even still, the saints in Macedonia and Achaia, it pleased in verse 26, it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make certain contributions for the poor. Not generally. Not the poor generally. The poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem, the church. Poor Christians. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, the poor is to neglect the poor. You know, the evangelizing is good. You know, I, I know people that who are in ministries unto the poor people, unto homeless people. And there's the, evangel the evangelistic aspect of their ministries, and which is beautiful. But what about the poor among the saints? You know, there's an aspect of the last days which we have to understand, and that's the sustaining of the body. Evangelize. There's always the evangelistic aspect of our walk with the Lord because where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. You know, winning souls for Christ. There's always going to be that evangelistic element to our walk with the Lord. But don't forget that in the last days, there's also going, not just in the last days, but, you know, as the days get darker, there's also going to be a sustaining aspect for the benefit of the body. Remember, Jesus Christ says, no flesh would be saved, even the elect, unless those days were shortened, which shows us a picture of the diminishing state of the body of Christ. Not to also forget the fact that it is prophetic. It is scripturally going to happen, the great falling away, which means that the church is going to grow weak. Not weak, but I mean small. It's going to be have, be in a diminishing state. You see? In this state, the church, the saint, 
When you read Revelation, you read some of Peter's writing, it's also a state of refinement for the remnant as through fire. A time period of refinement for the bride, for the wise virgin. You see? And I only say this not to denigrate evangelism because evangelism, evangelizing, that's a gimme in our walk with the Lord. But don't neglect the poor. You know, for those with money, those with assets, a lot of things are very easy. Mobility, relocation, very easy. But the poor that remain, those who do not have that flexibility, those who do not have the means, those who don't have jobs, those who don't have whatever, it's very difficult. And don't forget them. Not the poor generally. The poor among the saints. You see? And not to say that, you know, you can't help the poor generally. But don't forget the saints among the saints. The body of Christ. In verse 27, it pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. Remember, works is a debt. Our study in Romans 1, works is a debt. People say, oh, you say we're saved by works, we're saved by works. No, I don't. When? I never said that. I'm not saved by works. But no, works is a debt. As is written here in verse 27, it pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, remember, the root Supports the branch. You know, chapter 11, Jew and Gentile. Their duty or uh, 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 their duty as a debt is also to minister. This is liturgio, liturgio, liturgio. So like what we looked at in, in verse 16, liturgios, this is liturgio, liturgio. It's the same aspect of liturgy. Except instead of an individual, it's for a body. Liturgy as a body. That's their duty. That's their debt as a their 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 work as a debt. Their duty is also to minister to liturgy to them in material things. You know, that's why liturgy it's, it's inward. It's not outward, it's inward. Inward. And the outward showing of this. In this regard, in verse 27, is to minister to them in material things. Now, this translates as carnal things, things of the flesh, bodily things, and temporal things, which, spiritually speaking, these are bad. Carnality in the Christian is bad. Things of the flesh in the Christian is bad. Things that are of the flesh and temporal, they're bad, spiritually speaking. But understand that we're still in this world. We're still in the world, though. We're in the world. We're not of the world, but we're in the world. Which means what? You still need food to eat. You still got to pay rent. You might have a mortgage to pay. You still need, need a means of transportation going to work. You know? You got to pay the light bill. We're still in the world. We're not of the world. But people still got to eat. And that's what he's talking about. These material things. It's like things of the flesh. It's the, sustenance. For the body, carnal sustenance. Not carnal sustenance like, you know, a yacht, yacht number three, yacht number four, yacht number five, you know, uh, Lamborghini number three, Ferrari number four. No. 
Not that kind of material things. Material things as sustenance for the body of Christ, for the poor among the saints. Therefore, in verse 28, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, you see, the fruit of the saints. The fruit of the saints from Macedonia and Achaia. How it pleased them to do this, sacrificially giving. Paul didn't say, okay, give me your money. He didn't go to Achaia. He didn't go to Macedonia and say, okay, give me your money. You know, like, a, 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 um, what do you call those? Yeah, the auctioneers. You know, oh, $100 here, $100 here, $1,000 here. Who wants to give a 1000 Nothing like that. If you want to be a part of what the Lord is doing, you will give $1,000. And look, I'll give you this signed copy of, no. It was pleasing to the saints. Hey, Paul, here, we took up this offering and we want to give this to the church. When you go to Jerusalem here, this is for them. This is for the poor among the saints. Here, take this, Paul, give it to the church. And Paul didn't say, oh, cool, look, this money is mine. Look, the Lord has provided. I'm going to go to Bora Bora. You know, wow, cool, look, I'm going to go to the Bahamas. No way. He says, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, it's the fruit from Macedonia, the fruit from Achaia, the beautiful saints there in their own liturgy. You see, in their own liturgy and an example of Aboda Aboda Mishkan. You see, service unto the Lord for the benefit of the body of Christ. He says, when I have performed this and I have sealed them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. That's what he says here. But then we also know something interesting. Thus far in our studies here, we know that Paul's desire is to visit the church in Rome, to visit the saints. In verse 25, he says, but now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. But we also know that trouble is arising in Jerusalem. There's trouble in Jerusalem. Turn with me really quick to Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, verse 22, this is what Paul says. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. This is the same, the same. Remember how, you know, when, when, even when we were in here, in, in our study in the book of Acts, I, I, I said, you know, this is the, the book of Romans has already been written. You know, when we were, right when we were going to hit uh, chapter 21, I said the book of Acts has already been written. And so this reference of Paul saying he's going to Jerusalem, we go chronologically right here to Acts 20, verse 22, where Paul says, and see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. Remember, his chains, he's in service unto the Lord, a bondservant. He's in service unto the Lord, bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. You see? Wow, it's going to be it's going to be perilous in Jerusalem, Paul. He says in verse 24, 
But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Do you remember in chapter 21, still in Acts, but in Acts 21, when all the Christians, beautiful, beautiful people, the apostles were there, evangelists were there, prophets were there, prophetess were there, Paul's travel companions, they were saying, Paul, don't go there, don't go there, don't go to Jerusalem, it's dangerous, Paul. And in chapter 21, verse 13, what do you mean, guys? What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? Question mark. Why are you doing this, guys? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Wow. You see? You hear me say of the priests in the Old Testament, do you know how dead this guy has to be? Look at Paul. Do you see how dead he is? I'm not ready. Not, I'm ready not only to be bound, even if it costs me my life. I'm ready to die at Jerusalem. Why? For the name of the Lord Jesus. Wow. You see what I'm talking about? You hear Paul say, I am crucified with Christ. Even in our study in the book of Acts, you hear me say, he's a different animal. He's not like the average bear. He's different. Look at the apostles that were with him, the evangelists, the prophets, the prophetess. Don't go to Jerusalem, Paul. Don't go to Jerusalem, Paul. But there's something different about Paul. I'm ready to die. Not only to be bound. You see? There was trouble in Jerusalem. Trouble in Jerusalem. And we've studied what happened to him at Jerusalem. Let's go back to Romans 15. So in, verse, in Romans 15, verse uh, uh, 25, he says, But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. So he has this gift. The fruit, the liturgy from Macedonia and Achaia. It was pleasing to them to give. Here, Paul, we're going to support the poor among the saints. Not the poor generally. The poor Christians, the poor, my brothers, my sisters, those, those people who are poor. We want to support them. And here, give this money to them. And that's what Paul is going to do in verse 28. When I perform this and have sealed them this fruit, not his fruit. I mean, you could say vicariously it's his fruit. But I mean, not his fruit directly, but indirectly by means of teaching, by means of edifying, by means of exhortation. And the fruit of those teaching is results in sacrificial giving of the saints to other saints for the benefit of the body. So in one regard, you could say, wow, this is the fruit of Paul, spiritually speaking. But tangibly speaking, this fruit is from the church. All of it in service unto the Lord. Not that Paul can boast and say, wow, this is my fruit. No, not that there's any room for boasting. But the boast is in Jesus Christ. The work of the Lord. The liturgos of Paul, which resulted in the liturgio of the saints in Macedonia. And the saints in Achaia. You see? Aboda, Aboda, Mishkan. In the body of Christ. And the benefactors are the poor in Jerusalem. You see? Not to please ourselves. As you've written in verse 1. 
not to please ourselves. The benefactors are another. Here, the benefactors are the church, the poor in Jerusalem. He says in verse 29, But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me. I love this. He says, strive together with me. I'll tell you how this translates in the Greek. It's to be an assistant. You know, like Moses and Joshua. Who was defiled in the camp of Israel? Everybody except for Moses and Joshua. When the golden calf? Everybody except Moses, who was in the cloud, having intimacy with the Lord. Outside the cloud, on the top of the mountain, there was another. His name was Joshua, the assistant of Moses. And that's how this word translates Strive together with me. It's to be an assistant, to be a partner. And the connotation here in the Greek is to have close union. But the purpose, the purpose, it's not just, you know, this closeness for closeness sake. The purpose is to struggle, to labor, to endeavor, and to fight. You see? Struggle labor, endeavor, and to fight. That's a shepherd and his flock. The last day saint, the last day saint, we, myself included, we have to reach this level of selflessness. We have to get ourselves to this level of selflessness. Crucified with Christ. Because perilous times are here, and it's going to get worse and worse. It's already bad, but it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. You see? And Paul says, I beg you, in verse 30, I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. This is Paul, a pastor who's requesting prayers for himself, he even begs. He says, now I beg you, brethren, begging for prayers. Why? Because remember what we looked at in Acts 20, how he goes bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, he says, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. So he knows. The Holy Spirit has been telling him, Paul, chains and tribulations are coming. They await you. And knowing that, knowing that, he says, hey, guys, I beg you, can you pray? Pray for me. Strive together with me. Be a partner with me. Let's, the, the, let's have closeness in union for the purpose of struggle, labor, endeavor, and fighting. For those purposes, for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, guys, can you pray for me? That's what he's saying. I beg you guys, can you pray for me? Strive together with me in prayers to God for me. Now, I have to say something about pastors. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your pastors. There's something that's interesting that's happening that I'm noticing and I'm not alone in noticing this. Some other godly men who I adore, 
they're also noticing this. But there's something happening amongst pastors. And pastors are dying. Pastors are being persecuted heavily. And pastors are undergoing some major, major trials. Not to exclude death. Not to exclude major illness. Major, major trials. And it's just very interesting to see it happen for such a time as this. Major, major trials. Pray for your pastors. Turn with me really quick to 1 Peter chapter 1. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, this is what Brother Peter writes. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, various trials, that the genuineness, the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. When you enter into various trials, whatever trial it is. But when it comes, understand that, like verse 7 says, the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we go back now to Romans 15 when Paul says, I urge you, I beg you to pray for me. And I say to you, pray for your pastors, whoever they are, pray for your pastor. Now, if they're, you know, a wolf, rebuke them, warn them as like is, is, is written in verse 14. Admonish one another. If they've gone into crazy town, admonish. And if they won't heed you, leave. Leave. Who is there among you who would shut the doors? Leave. Shut the door. Leave. It's not, you're not leaving the Lord. You're staying faithful to Jesus Christ. When a pastor goes off into crazy town and doesn't heed the warnings, you leave. You hit the eject button. It pains me to say that because people have been in fellowships for long periods of times, deep friendships. But remember, your marriage, my marriage is to Jesus Christ. We stay faithful to him. But even still, pray for your pastors, whoever they are, pray for them. Because there's something happening. 
I don't want to say it's weird. I mean, it is kind of weird. There's this weird aspect, but it's just very interesting for such a time as this, as we get further and deeper into the last days, these very well-respected teachers, people, men who I love, men who I adore, men who, if the Lord didn't call me to be a pastor, I would very quickly move near their location. I would very quickly move. I only, I only have like three or four to choose from. But I would pray, look, Lord, where do you want? Because I want to submit myself under their pastoral leadership. And I would pray, Lord, where do you want me? Do I go here, here, here? Oh, you know, these four guys, eh, three guys. I mean, I could really be hardcore and say it's just two guys. I know there's more, but of the ones I know, I, you know. Remember there's 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal? What the Lord says to Elijah. He thought he was alone, but he wasn't alone. The Lord knew he wasn't alone, but Elijah thought he was alone. I know that there's more, but of the ones I know, there's like four. I mean, if I stretch it, maybe five, but really, I mean, if I was to be hardcore and be like, wow, I'm, I'm going to submit myself like hardcore to these guys too. But of these well-respected teachers that I know of, that I follow, that I pray for, that I just adore as fellow servants in the master's house, there's something interesting happening in the body of Christ to the pastors, to the teachers. Not to exclude death, not to exclude major illness, which could lead to death. Pray. Because the church is under attack. Pray hard. The church is under attack. And for the Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist. And Satan knows the only ones who can identify the, 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 the times, the, you know, as the sons of Issachar. They're the only ones. They're the only ones. And so he has to isolate the remnant. Strategically speaking, like militarily speaking. In isolating the remnant, how does he do that? He's got to kill the teachers. You look at the prophecies in the book of Daniel. Teachers will be killed. I mean, you hear me say that. Let's turn there. Daniel. Uh, I want to say 12. Daniel 11. Daniel 11, verse 31. And the for and forces shall be mustered by him. This is the Antichrist. And they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of def desolation. This happens in the middle of the 70th week. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God, the people who know their God, I'll stress that again. The people who know their God, which translates as to discern, to comprehend, and to understand. The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And those of the people who understand shall instruct many. Yet for many days they shall fall by sword, by flame, by captivity, and plundering. Now when they fall, they shall be aided with a little help, but many shall join with them by intrigue. And some of those under, of understanding shall fall to refine them, 
purify them and make them white until the time of the end because it is, it is still for the appointed time. You see, all these things must come to pass. They must happen, which, you know, we reflect back on what Brother Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, what, or verse 7, what we already looked at, but I'm going to read it again in light of what we looked at in Daniel 11. That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do not be dismayed by your trials or your tribulation. No matter what, even if it means death, major illness, sickness, do not be swayed. Do not stand firm. Stay faithful. Remain obedient to Jesus Christ. Those who know their God, you see, Daniel 11, those who know their God. And Paul says here, going back to Romans chapter 15 in closing, Romans 15 verse 30, he says, Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. You see, what is his prayer request in verse 31? That I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe. It translates here, who willfully and perversely, you know, it's uh, 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 they don't believe, but it's willfully and perversely. They don't believe. You know who that was? The religious establishment. The Levites, not to exclude the Kohanim. Those who are responsible for people to be right with the Lord using the law. But in the spirit of the law, they were blind. They were blind to the spirit of the law. And Paul says, pray that I be delivered from them. And you know what? God answered the prayers of the saints. God answered the prayers of the saints in Rome. Why? Because we've studied the book of Acts. What happened when they wanted to kill Paul? What happened when they put Paul, remember he was in his jail and then his cousin was there? What happened? Did he die? Look at the plotting we saw of, we got to kill Paul, we got to kill Paul. But no, the Lord answered the prayers of the saints in Rome. Not to say that the, 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 the saints in Jerusalem were not praying. But Paul specifically said, I beg you guys, beautiful, beautiful people of the way in Rome, pray for me. And they prayed for him. And the Lord answered their prayers because he had deliverance in Jerusalem. Even when the Spirit was saying, chains and tribulations await you, he still had chains and tribulation. But the saints were saying, the saints were on their knees praying, Lord, don't let him die. Let no weapon formed against him prosper. And the Lord heard their prayers and the Lord answered their prayers and the Lord moved. You see, the saints in Rome, to Paul, pray for your pastors, whoever they are, pray hard for them. Because there's some ma major trials. Major trials happening, major. Stay faithful, no matter what. You stay faithful.
that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. You see, observe the body here. Observe the body of Christ in light of what we see so far. You have the poor saints, poor saints in Jerusalem. You have the, the, the saints in Macedonia, Achaia. You have Paul entering Jerusalem. He's begging them, hey, pray for me, guys. Observe the body. This close union. In this, when Paul says in verse 30, strive together with me, it's to be an assistant, to be a partner, this close union, intimate union. For the sake of struggle, for the sake of labor, for the sake of endeavoring, for the sake of fighting. And you see Paul, you see the saints in Rome who are providing provisions. Or, 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 or uh, they're praying. And the saints in Macedonia and Achaia, they're giving, providing provisions. The saints... Who are you know who are with Paul? You know, we read book the book of Acts. What about the saints who are with Paul on his on his journey to Jerusalem? Remember, they had their little uh, uh, beach walk that they had. What about all these saints that were with Paul? And what about the poor saints in Jerusalem? All these saints, the people of the way, one body. One body, many parts. One mind, one spirit, one mouth. In accordance with sound doctrine, Jesus Christ. One body. Intimacy. You see? He says this in closing in verse 32, that I may come to you with, with joy by the will of God and maybe be refreshed together with you. And how beautiful it is to see his desire and his hope. They're unfazed by the situation because we know what happens. We studied Acts 20 and all the way to the end. We know what happens. Yes, Paul lives. The weapons formed against him, they do not prosper. And he lives. But then he still goes into captivity. He gets, you know, imprisoned. But then at the same time, remember, you know, Paul, you, you almost persuade, persuade me to become a Christian. When he was giving the gospel to the leaders, the political leaders, Paul, you almost persuade me, persuade me to become a Christian. Paul didn't stop. Remember uh, 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 Felix and, um, um, I was going to say Agabus, but I know Agabus was the prophet. Uh, Festus, all right. In uh, Acts 26, verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. You see? Paul was before Festus. Paul was before Agrippa. The little, the lure didn't take with Festus, so he goes to Agrippa. Do you believe the prophets? I know you do believe. 
You see, Paul didn't stop. No matter the situation, no matter the imprisonment, Paul didn't stop. Ultimately, it led him to imprisonment in Rome. And when he was in Rome, I wonder who came to visit him. I wonder if there was anybody outside the window. Hey, Brother Paul. And so, like, Paul made it to Jerusalem or made it to Rome. It wasn't. It probably wasn't under the the the, the same pretense that he had in mind. It, it turned out to be different, but he made it to Rome nonetheless. Under house arrest, he was able to write this letter to the Christians, to the saints in Rome. You see. In verse thirty-two, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God. And may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace. I love this so much. The God of peace. You say, the God of peace be with you all. Remember, uh, God of peace, verse 13 says, the God of hope. Now the God of peace be with you. This is to the saints in Rome and the saints today and the saints right here, right now. And I'm speaking about you. You. He says, amen. So which is it? Is it the God of peace? As is written in verse 33? Is it the God of hope? In verse 13? In verse 5? Is it the God of patience and comfort? Remember, it's the Lord who says, I am that I am. It is all. And more. God is good. We're going to end our study here and Lord willing, close up the book of Romans next week. God bless you guys. Love you guys.